That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox are a close approximation of the rivalry that we saw with LIV Golf and the PGA Tour. Except it was nastier with golf, wasn't it? The Saudi-backed LIV Golf Tour was decried and denounced by the PGA Tour. And a stunning reversal this morning as... America woke up to the LIV Golf Tour and the PGA Tour announcing, hey, we're going to put our differences behind us and we're going to marry each other. We're eloping. I want to know what you make of it. I'll tell you what I make of it, but I want to know what you make of it. Efforting Peter Jacobson on this subject, he is the guy I really want to talk with about it. And he is on a plane right now trying to get him on today's show. If not, we'll get him on tomorrow's show because I really want... Uh, his opinion on what happened with the LIV Golf Tour and the PGA Tour coming together. Now, we still don't have the full picture. And I cringed a little bit this morning when I saw the announcement and it said, you know, they are uh, teaming up on their business and their commercial enterprises and details will be forthcoming. Details will be forthcoming isn't what I uh, expected on the LIV PGA front if there was going to be a resolution now the litigation apparently will go away the pga tour and all the bad feelings i don't know we will soon find out but i want to know what you make of it 503-417-7575 is the phone number you tell me what do you make of this marriage made in golf Hell, I don't know if it's heaven or hell for these people, but I'll tell you what I what I make of it. The PGA Tour enjoys uh, a tax-exempt status, and there was the Department of Justice sort of nosing around, asking questions, and I'm fairly certain that the PGA Tour was getting uncomfortable with that to the point where they were going, hey, you know, we may have some antitrust issues, we may have some issues from a competitive standpoint. We may have to come to the table in a meaningful way. Simultaneously, the LIV tour itself was having trouble monetizing its product. And, you know, it, we did see it televised on CW and other places, but we are told that they were paying for airtime. They weren't getting it. Um, Jay Monahan, the PGA tour czar talked about the tension going away the impact of the game is this good for golf is it bad for golf here's jay monahan of the pga tour well listen 
lot of people have been reading about the tension. Um, and that we've talked a lot. Um, and I said previously that we were going down our path, they were going down theirs. And today, that tension goes away. The litigation is dropped. We're announcing to the world that on behalf of this game, we're coming together. And it's, it's less about how people respond today, and it's all about how people respond in 10 years. And when they see the impact that we're having on this game together, there will be a lot of smiles on people's faces, and there'll be a lot more people playing this game all over the world. And if you're a young player that wants to get to the highest level of the game today, you'll be more inspired than you've ever been before. Quite a different tune than the one that Monahan was singing a while ago when he decried the LIV event and uh, announced that uh, the PGA was uh, not uh, was not going to uh, bow down to the LIV tour or join forces with them. Um, here is uh, Jay Monahan talking with Jim Nance 359 days ago. 359 days ago. Can I ask about this? There was a story that was first reported uh, in the New York Post yesterday by Brian Wacker about a 9-11 coalition of families and survivors of the 2001 terrorist attacks. 9-11... Um, Families United sent a letter to the representatives of Phil, Dustin, Bryson, Reed, and others, quote, expressing their outrage towards the golfers for participating in the new league and accusing them of sports washing and betraying the United States, end quote. And that's gotten a lot of steam over the last 24 hours. That story first reported again in the New York Post. How much did you talk to your players about the possible ramifications if they sign on with the new league? Well, I talked to players. I've talked at a player meeting, and I've and I've talked to a number of players uh, individually uh, for a long period of time. And I think you'd have to be living under a rock to not know that there are significant implications. And as it relates to the families of 9/11, uh, I have two families that are close to me that lost loved ones, and so my heart goes out to them. And I would ask. You know, any player that has left or any player that would ever consider leaving, have you ever had to apologize for being a member of the PGA Tour? Landmark day in golf today. Uh, I want your reaction to it. 503-417-7575 number. These two tours coming together. Is this good for golf? Will it help? Was the LIB Tour going to survive on its own? It certainly had deep pockets. It didn't appear to be profitable, any, anything close to it. But it did achieve its goal of trying to force a merger with the PGA and, and force some changes on the PGA. I still want to see what the end result is going to be. But my initial reaction was follow the money. And, and again, the PGA can act and pretend that it is uh, better than the LIV Tour or above the LIV Tour. And in the end, though, if you partner with the LIV Tour – you kind of are the LIV tour. I also think both parties had motivation to come together and end the litigation. It was going to be years and years and years of trouble. PGA was probably going to lose its antitrust exemption, and the LIV tour was going to continue to bleed money. Let's go to the phone lines. I want your reaction to it. Sean's in Vancouver. Sean, welcome to the show. Hey there, John. Hope you're, you and your family are well. Um, you too. So. What this is, I mean, you just said it. This is about money. And they're making the same bet 
that NFL teams make all the time when one of their players do something terrible or horrible, which is 10 years from now, you won't even think about the fact. And he even said it. Monahan said it. 10 years from now, golf will be better. And it'll be because nobody thinks about it anymore. We moved on. We got to see great golf get played. The best players in the world watched each other play. And nobody will remember the outrage. Nobody will remember the, you know, who is supporting it. Because really, let's be honest, at the end of the day, this is Saudi Arabia buying the PGA Tour. That's, that's what this is. And I think, too, uh, you know, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. 503-417-7575. That opens the line uh, if you want to weigh in. Uh, I think, too, that it was really interesting to have the inaugural LIV event that was scheduled in the United States happen here in the state of Oregon at Pumpkin Ridge and to see how it divided that club and to see how it fractured people in general. I did not cover that golf event. I did not go out and cover it, but I wrote about it in the run-up to it, and there was a lot of discomfort around it. Uh, To this point, the NBA, Major League Baseball, the NFL, have said that they're not going to take money from Saudi Arabia and the Sovereign Wealth Fund. But uh, U.S. Senator Ron Wyden coming out today, he's outraged. He said, uh, this is his quote. He said, quote, Commissioner Jay Monahan spoke emotionally last year about how the PGA Tour was an alternative to getting in bed with the brutal regime, but apparently something changed his mind. Hypocrisy doesn't begin to cover this brazen, shameless cash grab. Uh, Senator Wyden went on to say he's going to dive into every nook and cranny of Saudi Arabia's deal with the PGA. As a start, U.S. officials need to consider whether a deal will give the Saudi regime improper control or access to U.S. real estate, end quote. I've asked Senator Wyden to come on the show. That's uh, Oregon U.S. Senator Ron Wyden from the state of Oregon. Stephen, your reaction to this, when you saw this, what did you think? Uh, yeah, I just, you know, it seemed like uh, cash rules everything around me. Cream, as they would say in the rap song. You know, it just it's all about the money right there, and that's what sports is about. It's about money and you know, at the time when you know when Live was becoming you know becoming a thing, and they were starting to you know golfers are going over from the PGA to Live, I understood what they were doing. I understood why they would go over to the Live Golf Tour and make that money because you know if I was offered that same same thing, I don't know that I could say no. It's generational wealth that you're going to be passing along to your family. And now, if you're a PGA golfer and you were offered that money, and now and PGA said no, you need to stay with us. You need to be loyal. We're not going with them. Now they're partnering with them. How do you feel? I would feel just so mad at the PGA that you cost me millions of dollars when you said it wasn't okay for me to go, but now you're going to do it and not tell anybody. That's the thing also is John, they, they, all these golfers said no one was warned about this. They found out when everyone else did. It's it's a bad look by the PGA to go back and what they said. Now, do I, you know, all these live golfers, do they like better now that they went over there earlier? No, not really. But like, I don't, I don't blame them for doing it. And now in the long run, they got exactly what they wanted. The PGA caved to live golf. And now uh, we're just going to have one tour, I guess. The interesting thing for me, if I'm, you know, as I look at the PGA Tour, is it becomes evident that they were worried about the Department of Justice poking around their antitrust exemption. Did they have a um, an advantage? Did you know were they were they curbing competition in the marketplace? I think it's really interesting that they didn't want to open the books. They didn't want to go down that road. I think their attorneys were probably telling them, "Hey, this is not going to end well." Um, I can remember at the beginning of this. Let's go back to. Last May, a year ago, a little more than a year ago, Peter Jacobson on this show. This live event is really all about money. It's just about money in the short term. 
And if the players want to go, I, I say go. But but they have to realize that they're looking at some short uh, long-term implications for short-term money. Yeah, Peter Jacobson on this show. Uh, we're efforting him for tomorrow's show. His daughter's telling me he's on a plane right now. Here's Jay Monahan, uh, with the PGA Tour commissioner. In August of last year, after some players jumped to the LIV Tour, he had some strong words. Here's his answer. Yeah, if a player who has gone off to live looked at this and says, this looks pretty good, would you lift the suspension and welcome him back? No. Why not? They've joined, they've joined the Live Golf Series, um, and they've made that commitment. And, they've, and for most of them, they've made multi-year commitments. So as I've been clear throughout, um, every player has a choice, and I respect their choice. Um, but they've made it. We've made ours. We're going to continue to focus on the things that we control and get stronger and stronger. And I think they understand that. Yeah, look, uh, now Monaghan has changed his tune. Uh, players reacting today. The story's just co- starting to come out as players are meeting and being informed uh, of what is going on. And the reaction from players is really mixed. I mean, uh, surprise from some players, shock from other players. Um, as you mentioned, Stephen, players were basically pointing out that they found out about this like everybody else. Um, you know, and this merger. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to find out as uh, Colin Murakami coming out on Twitter saying, uh, Murakawa saying, I love finding out morning news on Twitter. Um, and as golfers are coming out, like, I understand why they wouldn't tell golfers, though, because then you're leaking it and then you're going to be up against public outrage. And I'll be really interested to see if. First of all, if the details of this deal are made public, how public are they? And, you know, what brought the PGA Tour ultimately back to this period, this uh, time of reconciliation with the uh, with the Saudi-backed uh, LIV Golf? Like, it, it really is interesting to see this uh, world golf sort of partnership between the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, that's formerly the European Tour, and LIV Golf. They're, they're saying it's not a merger. They're saying it's a partnership in a commercial of a, a creation of a new commercial entity. Um, really interesting to see uh, what is happening uh, with all of this stuff. Now, this, the, the discomfort that, that Monaghan was talking with some of the families of the 9 um, 9/11 terrorist attack, um, the, the sovereign wealth fund in Saudi Arabia, is chaired by Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. He's known as MBS. Now, MBS, according to U.S. intelligence, is the person responsible for approving the operation that led to the 2018 murder of Jamal Khashoggi, the Washington Post journalist. He has denied involvement in the killing. But the State Department is saying that, you know, he is the person who greenlighted that, that assassination. The 9-11 families and survivors are, are, are issuing uh, statements saying they're deeply offended by the merger. It, I'll be really interested to see how this all shakes out. But I think in the end, like we all sort of know, you, you follow the trail, you follow the money, and you find out what happens. Now, I wrote about this this morning at johnconzano.com. This was, a, I think, a wild, wild uh, p- 
pivot, you know, a reversal of fortune. I wrote about some other wild pivots that I thought were more practical than LIV Golf. Well, you talk about a plot twist. Like, if you saw the PGA Tour and LIV Golf coming back together and ending their standoff with a marriage, like, hey, we're going to merge, we're going to drop the litigation, nobody's going to have to open their books, we're just going to hug it out, you know, golf's going to be better for it. And, uh, Stephen, I love your point. The PGA commissioner's going, like, sleight of hand, don't look here. Don't look at the here and now. Look 10 years down the road. And, you know, if you're if you're uncomfortable, look 10 years down the road. You're like, you know, I don't blame people who are uncomfortable with this. And I, I'll be really curious to see how the Saudi government and this wealth fund uh, tries to infiltrate the NBA, Major League Baseball, the NFL, if they haven't already in other ways. Wild plot twist in this case. But, I, you know, there are a lot of other things I would have thought were more were more likely than LIV Golf and the PGA Tour coming together. Do you think that, uh, it ha- yeah. do you think that it ha- ultimately is going to have a big impact on viewership uh, in America, things like that with the PGA? I don't think so because I think people, most people just want their sports. And I think most people won't think about it. So from a viewership standpoint, given that there is no alternative – you know, this would be the equivalent of the NBA saying, hey, we're merging, you know, we're taking Saudi money and people going, well, you have to decide if you're going to watch NBA basketball. I think it would be a thin slice of NBA fans who said, I don't want to watch it. But I think, you you know, we mostly just want our sports. I think we want our sports to have, you know, to be um, unfiltered. We want them to be authentic. We, we, we want some transparency. I think you have seen in recent years the NFL's different discomfort with Daniel Schneider and the NBA's discomfort with Donald Sterling and the Sarver family, Robert Sarver. And, you know, we've watched these things play out. And, you know, by and large, I think, you you know, that's a sponsorship move. And it's a move to say, hey, we can't operate business unless we have clean hands. I don't know how any, you know, team or franchise could have clean hands while also taking, you know, an investment from the, the Saudi sovereign wealth fund. So I'm left thinking that, you know, this is a, you know, PGA thing, and it's different because it's golf. But I don't, I don't know, Stephen. Do you think people will boycott watching because of this, or will they just be turned off and they'll still root for their favorite golfers? I think, I think they'll just forget about it after about a week. You know, I think it's it's bad timing right now for the PGA. There's, you know, if you're an NHL fan, it's a day off. If you're an NBA fan, day off. You know, we're still in the spring. We're right before the summertime for football. Like it hasn't really caught on yet. Like. It, this news came out at the worst time right now. And so I don't think it's going to have very much of an impact going forward. Like, yeah, we'll think about it when we're watching a tournament. Like, oh, yeah, it's Saudi back. But you know what? I want to watch uh, Tiger Woods see if he can get a par in this hole. Like, I, I just don't think that people are going to matter and they don't care about it at the end of the day. So it is it is interesting that they're doing this because I think they're just rolling with those punches and saying, you know what? We're going to go through a tough stretch right here for about a week or so. And we're going to go forward and take this money and just hope that uh, people forget and they just want to tune in to watch some golf on the weekend. I was uncomfortable that that first event was happening in our state. And, you know, I was on record about it. I wrote about it. I talked about it. I didn't go cover it in person. I had friends who went and went to check it out to see, you know, hey, and they said they came away thinking it was mostly good and it was nice to see a big event in the state of Oregon, yada, yada, yada. Um, But we were under no illusion that this was going to be a regular Pacific Northwest stop for the LIV Tour, the PGA Tour. We just weren't. Pumpkin Ridge, uh, you know, the company that owns Pumpkin Ridge is based in Texas. They cut a deal to have several of their courses around the country host these events. 
felt like we were being used to kind of, you know, let let the tour dip its toes into the American waters, so to speak, and was just uncomfortable with it. But I don't begrudge anybody who went out there and said, hey, I'm okay with it. I'm going to go watch because it's great golf. You know, that's your choice if you want to do that. I think the that golf is different, though, than team sports and team leagues. You have individual golfers who will have to decide for themselves, are they comfortable being part of this tour? Yeah, well, they, if they want to make money, they're going to have to be. And you're going to have fans who go, hey, I just love to watch golf or I love to play golf. And, you know, I think if, if there's no alternative, they're going to have to choose whether they watch it or not. You, but I, Go ahead. I was going to ask you, do you think any of the golfers that stayed with PGA, Rory McIlroy, Tiger Woods, any of those guys boycott the PGA because of this? I'm really interested to see, like, what especially, like, Rory McIlroy and some others come out and say. Um, you know, the golfers are saying that they're they're mad, first of all, that the way they found out. They didn't feel like they were included in the decision. And I'm kind of wondering if the PGA Tour players um, are going to be upset enough about this to kind of band together um, and, and make it impact. Because well, Rory was very outspoken about it. Like, yeah, Rory's very mad. And, I mean, what, the, what was the rumor? Tiger, they offered him, like, a billion dollars, basically? He said no. And he yeah, said listen no. To that. Here, here's what Rory said in June of last year. I certainly don't think they should drop the hammer. Um, look, they're well within their rights to enforce the rules and regulations that have, that have been set. But... Um, there's going to be an it's going to end up being an argument about what those rules and regulations are so um like i have some very close friends that are that are playing in this event in london and i certainly wouldn't want to stand in their way to for them to do what they feel is right for themselves so um i certainly it's not something that i would do personally but um you know, I, I certainly understand um, why some of the guys have went, and, and uh, you know, it's it's something that we're all going to just keep an eye on and see what happens over these next few weeks. Yeah, there he was, and then later he um, he came in a little stronger against Greg North. There's a few things that I would like to see on the live side that needs to happen. I think Greg needs to go. I think he needs to just exit stage left and. Look, he's he's made his mark, but I think now is the right time to to sort of say, look, you've you know you've got this thing off the ground, but no one's going to talk and, unless you know there's an adult in the room that can actually try to mend fences. Um, and if those two things happen, then things can things can happen. But right now, um, it's a stalemate because it, there can't be any other way can't be any other way and he went even stronger when players who said they weren't going to defect eventually defected again i'll go back to what i said at uh at the i think it was at the u.s was it last week or uh it might have been i don't know but am i surprised yes because of what he said previously you know, i think that's why i'm i'm surprised at a lot of these guys because they they say one thing and then they do another and I don't understand that, and I don't know if that's for legal reasons or if they they can't. I, I have no idea, but um, it's pretty duplicitous on on their part to say one thing and then do another thing. You're talking about something you said two years ago or a week ago? The whole way through. Yeah. The whole way through, in public and private, all of it. Rory McIlroy, I want your take on all of this. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. 
Well, I can sit here and I can tell you what I think the LIV marriage to the PGA Tour means. I'm surprised by it, but I'm more, really more interested in what you think, whether you think it'll make a difference. Will, you know, will it make the PGA Tour better? Will some of the ideas infused into the LIV events make their way into the PGA ecosystem and make the game itself more interesting? Will uh, the golfers coming back together be enough by itself just to make the game of golf better? Uh, will you watch it? Do you care? Uh, are you so outraged you won't watch it? Uh, I'm more interested in what you have to say on the topic. 503-417-7575 is the number. Let's bounce out to uh, Mark in Portland. Mark, welcome back to the show. Hey, how you doing? Um, I'm well. I'm just, I mean, I really don't, like a lot of us, don't really know how the money's really works i mean i want to know how tiger feels about being loyal to the pga after turning down what i, I they said was 800 million dollars to go to liv and yeah. uh, it makes uh, phil nicholson look like a genius so um it's kind of frustrating because you you felt these guys were standing up for the right thing and and they get they get basically stabbed in the back and sold out as far as i'm concerned and you know i'm I'm curious if uh, the last couple of majors made the PGA see the writing on the wall a little with Brooks Kepka winning one and getting second, tying with Phil Mickelson. I mean, those LIV guys with not that many guys were, were all over the leaderboard. So it, I think they kind of saw the writing on the wall that they were going to continue to bleed and lose more people. So they decided to, to merge, and it'll be interesting what the merger means i don't i don't understand what it, what it will yeah. mean as far yeah. as pga events and all that stuff none of us know to this point there's an entanglement here that uh is unclear and you know i, I thought here you know i think from a pga standpoint the pga had to dig in because it had to protect its sponsors it did it had relationships with sponsors it had an obligation to those sponsors it it needed to protect them but I uh, agree with Mark's point. Like Tiger Woods, I think it was the events that that he would have played would have amounted to 754 holes of golf. So he would have made about a million dollars per hole of golf that he would have played if he had bounced over to the LIV Tour. How does he feel about it? I'm waiting to see his comment. Uh, Also curious if that was the sort of the, uh, the lightning point that, forced the PGA to come to the to the table? Was it seeing so many LIV golfers finishing the money in the majors? Or could the PGA Tour simply have waited them out, let them age out, let them not participate when they're not eligible to participate? Felt like it was headed in that direction, and yet you get a merger today or a new partnership today, whatever you want to call it, and you have a lot of questions about whether or not the PGA Tour simply wanted the lawsuits to go away, wanted the Department of Justice to stop nosing around uh, because they are tax-exempt. Let's go to Truman, who's in Portland. Truman, love it. Welcome. Hi, John. Um, I'm a retired teacher who subs almost every day, but I play in a senior golf league here in the city, and that's all we talked about all day long while we were playing. And I would say 90% of the guys in our group were very upset with the PGA for caving. Um, we just feel like they uh, had the line, they had the revenue that was coming in, and 
the other things that we talked about was, of course, the Saudis cut what oil consumption, oil production by what a million gallons or a million barrels a day. So we, you know, made jokes about, are they taking that extra money? They're going to raise our prices to pay for, you know, just Mm -hmm. joke stuff. But anyway, we were upset. We're upset with PGA for Falden. Um, felt like we were a little betrayed and, uh, that's kind of my thoughts on it, John. Yeah, and I know your that. dad's an educator, so uh, that's why I had to drop that line. Well, yeah, we got a bu- I got a bunch of teachers uh, in my family. I always say that I'm not the I'm the only one that's not helping people. Um, my um, my takeaway there. It's interesting to me to hear. I want to hear more of that. I want to hear what what's being said in your circles because, you know, the disappointment with the PGA Tour in that call is palpable. Um, are these two tours stronger together than apart? Yes. What does the structure mean for golf? Um, it it calls for the PGA Tour, I guess, to handle the golf stuff and the governance of this new entity. And um, more significantly, the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Saudi Arabia is going to make this huge investment into the new entity to facilitate its growth. So it, it becomes a big stakeholder. There's some discomfort with that. You could hear it in that call. Let's go to Luke, who's in Eugene, listening on Fox Sports Eugene. Luke, what's up, man? Hey, John. How you doing? Doing well. Great. So I, I think I need to make the point that, you know, one thing we know about the upcoming, whatever this tour looks like, is that they're not going to have an event here in Portland. And that is largely because, let's face it, John, you were involved in a negative campaign against the Live mm-hmm. Tour when they were here. I'm not going to cut you off, but let's not call it a campaign. I said I was uncomfortable well, with it. How was it a campaign? I'm uncomfortable well, with it. I mean, Ron Wyden came on your radio show, right? And he's uncomfortable he's with it. How is it, a camp- how is it a campaign? Let's, let's stop with the rhetoric. Okay. Was, how is it a campaign? You interrupted me, so I'm telling you that. Yeah. How, but how is it a campaign? At least 20, 20 caterers and other service people who provided services to Live Tour who were blacklisted after that event. Yeah. And so when you talk about this being a morality yeah. thing, let's get real with morale or yeah. morals. The well, fact hey, listen, if you want to get real, look, if you want to get real, Luke, Luke, Saudi if you, Arabia, Luke, 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 I'm going to cut you off. There you go. Look, if if you want to say I was had discomfort with the LIV tour, my words are out there. They're in black and white. The podcast or the radio show I did is you can go find it. You can go back and listen to it. But don't come on and say that I'm responsible for the LIV tour not coming back to Oregon. They had no plan to come back. They weren't coming back. It was a one-time shot at Pumpkin Ridge. You were being used. Pumpkin Ridge was being used. The golf entity that is based in Texas cut the deal with the LIV tour. One event in Portland, one event in their course in Boston, and then make some course upgrades. They were buying their way into America. And I was uncomfortable with it, as were a lot of the members at Pumpkin Ridge who were watching their club sell out. We're going to make some improvements, yada, yada, yada. You're going to shut down the course. But, you know, like I said, hey, I didn't tell you not to go to the event. Do what's right for you. If you like to watch it and this is your thing, go do it. Go chase it around the country. I was uncomfortable with it. I don't like the fact that the Saudi government has helped It's citizens who have committed crimes against people in our region uh, flee and not have to face justice. 
I don't, I'm not comfortable with the human rights record in Saudi Arabia. It doesn't mean you have to be. You decide for yourself. But let's not call it a campaign or a crusade or pretend that it's me who is stopping the event from coming back. If the event wants to come back, if I'm all, if I'm all that powerful, I'm the gatekeeper in the state of Oregon, then, uh, then that's news to me. But I was uncomfortable with it. And I don't blame other people who were as well. Let's go to Mike, who's in Seattle. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, John, great conversation. I think this is exactly like, you know, when the NCAA, they started losing lawsuits and they found out at the Supreme Court level that you can't limit, you know, what people can do in free trade and uh, and if people want to want to pay athletes for their for their name image and likeness that is acceptable you know people would call in and say i'm not going to follow college athletics anymore if they're going to get paid so now if we take it to live i think you know the jay monahan and the powers that be they've heard from their lawyers that are saying and the pga of america and and the masters maybe and the U.S. Open, they've heard from their lawyers that you can't limit people from doing things, even though you're a private entity and there's all kinds of lawsuits. And I think they probably heard the only way to make this go away is to fold and merge. And it's like the ABA going to the NBA and merging. It's AFL back in the day and merging with the NFL. It hurts to merge and settle, but... In America, there is free trade and there's freedom, you know, to make decisions, you know, do what you want. And uh, I know a lot of corporations that are selling things to the Saudis. There's a big one up here in Seattle, you know, that makes airplanes and they sell them all around the world. And they don't really worry kind of where the money comes from. So uh, if the Saudis, it it could be they're trying uh, to clean up their act and they want to invest. you know, that could be their intent. So that's could what be. I think probably happened. Could. The PGA found out they were going to spend a lot of money and they were going to lose these court cases yeah. and they would get laughed at. And so they folded and they merged. I think that I think the bigger thing is the antitrust issue. I think they were going to lose that and they were going to lose their protection, their exemption that they have. And they were not going to be uh, a tax exempt entity. I think they were worried about opening the books. I also think LIV was bleeding money, and I think there was some mutual interest there. We'll find out in the coming days, but my suspicion is that LIV was also bleeding money. And, you know, their TV deal with the CW, I, I do know about that deal. Bob Thompson, the former Fox Sports Network's president, neg- helped negotiate that deal on behalf of CW. And, and CW, you know, I, I think LIV was essentially paying for airtime. It was like an infomercial. It wasn't like they had major networks chasing them down. So I think that, you know, you had a money pit situation on the LIV side. You had the PGA Tour that had some motivation to make this go away, and they end up in the middle. Now, I know there are a number of companies, airlines, uh, you know, petroleum companies, whatnot, that do business with Saudi Arabia, who will tell you, hey, we have no choice. This is just good business. This is business, whatever. But what we haven't seen in America is we haven't seen the sports world embrace investment from countries that have poor human rights records. I saw a lot of examples from people who said, hey, we do business with China. We do business with Saudi Arabia and these other areas. And 
it, and it always came back to yes, but uh, you're talking about uh, a, a PGA tour that is rooted in America with American sponsors and the sportification angle, a lot of discomfort, particularly in our region. There have been a number of court cases where Saudi citizens have committed violent crimes, um, hit and runs, murders, uh, you know, sex assaults, and the citizens have been ushered out of the country over the cover of, a cover of night, a number of stories. And Senator Wyden came on the show and he talked about that. You know, he's talking about those families in particular. And look, if you're okay with it, that's okay. This is the kind of show where we don't have to agree. My my frustration with the caller from Eugene, who's trying to create a narrative that is false, is that there was no crusade. There was no campaign. I have a discomfort with it. If you don't, call in and say so. If you do, call in and say so. The, you know, I've said this a number of times on the show. What I think makes this show great is it's okay. We can disagree. We don't have to agree on things. Uh, we've had lots of agreements in 17 years and a lot of disagreements in 17 years. But I want your calls and I want your input because you don't just speak for yourself. I think you speak for other people sometimes when you call in. 503-417-7575. Let it rip. Hunched Audio coming up top of the hour. Hope the best sound from all around right here at 4 o'clock. Catch you up on everything that's going on. Uh, have a interesting story involving a uh, college football recruit. Also, uh, Bill Walton gave me a shout-out. We'll talk about that later. But I want to go to the phone lines. I want you to have a chance to talk about how you feel about LIV golf and PGA golf becoming a thing. They're getting married. Are you going to the wedding? Let's go to Mike in Wilsonville. Mike, welcome to the conversation. Say, so John, um, the objections that you have against Saudi Arabia, it don't really make sense because without Saudi Arabia – there would be no such thing as the petrodollar. The money that you carry around in your pocket is called the petrodollar, and that's because Saudi Arabia and America made a deal that all goods and services, I mean, all oil has to be bought using American dollars. And so without Saudi Arabia, America would not have an hegemony. And so I don't know how you can... can um, be against Saudi Arabia because that's how America maintains their dominance in the world globally. So the arguments you make don't really make sense. Mm, that's that, and the that's reason, not even an argument, though, Mike, because I don't have a choice on what dollar to spend. I have a choice on whether or not I want to go to a golf event. And so what I'm saying is I don't feel good about going to the LIV events. If you do, go ahead. I'm not going to begrudge you. But I don't feel good about it. That's different than, hey, I wake up, I don't want to spend a dollar that may have four cents of it, you know, attached to Saudi oils in some tangential way. Uh, you don't have a choice in those things. You don't have a choice in whether or not you're going to buy gasoline that doesn't have the fingerprints of Saudi Arabia on it or fly in a plane that has uh, fuel that is uh, derived from Saudi Arabia. But you do have a choice if you don't feel good about the ownership of a team or a quarterback or a player on your favorite team that's a registered sex offender, you have a choice there. Um, I can't argue that point. I'm just making the other – my yeah. argument is just basically that America can't do anything without Saudi Arabia. That's well, all I'm I, saying. I think you and, and I probably agree that there's a lot of hypocrisy out there. 
There you go. Thank you. Yeah, we'd agree on that. I think PGA Tour leading the way today. <laughs> Come on. Truck driver Ken. Truck driver Ken, how you doing? Oh, just ducky. Well, I tell you, this whole bit of news breaking today has just simplified my choices. You know, I was never anything more than a casual golf fan. If there was a story or a player or Tigers playing on Sunday, I, I'd tune in. But there was only one major golf tour. Mm-hmm. Well, then Liv came in, muddied up the waters, took a lot of the good players. But as far as I'm concerned, there was still only one golf tour. If I wanted to watch, I'd watch. Well, now that the PGA's hopped into bed with the Live Tour, now things are very simple. I vote with my feet. Now there are no golf tours, so I don't have to bother tuning in ever. There you go. You have that choice. And if you had called in, Ken, and said, you know what, damn it, I'm going to watch all those golf events, I would say vote yourself. This isn't, you know, you don't have, not everyone has to agree on this. And not everyone has to agree that you, you're okay with, uh, you know, what's going on in the NFL, Major League Baseball. You, you, you have a choice. We don't have to like the same movies. Steven said something blasphemous on this show. He said he didn't get Ted Lasso. And then he started making all these sports comparisons. And I almost fell off my stool because Ted Lasso is not a sports series. It's, uh, it's like The Office. It's about the workplace. But it's okay. Steven can say that. You don't have to like Ted Lasso. I love the season, the series finale. Might have been the best thing I ever saw. But Steven said it was terrible. Look at Didn't me. watch Look it. Look at me. I'm still here. He's <laughs> still here. Yeah. I've told you that. Like, you, you disagreed with me on something yesterday. Can't even remember what it was. I said, uh, I said we're overrating Jody Allen's impact on the yeah. actual basketball team. And what did I say to you at the end of the show? <laughs> Probably don't remember. Probably said, hey, good show. I said, good show. Good job today. Thank you. We don't have to agree how boring it would be if we all agreed on all this stuff. Well, that's true. And that, that's why you love to hear the caller's perspectives because, you know, I think yeah. I, have a di- I even have a different perspective from you on this because, I mean, I don't know about you, John. I, like I said, if I was offered the same exact thing that these golfers were with Live Golf, I would take it. Like, I even compared it to my job here. Like, if you know, yep. someone were offering me 20 times what I'm making here, See you later, John. Sorry, I'm out. Like, that's just what it is. And it's not about where the money's coming from. It's like I'm thinking about me and what's best for my family and everything like that. So it's just very interesting to see, you know, the reactions that people are having. And, and I don't, you know, I don't hate anybody for thinking that they wouldn't watch golf now or anything. It's just it's just your opinion on what it is. It probably won't change how I watch golf. I'll be honest. I casually, very casually pay attention to golf and tell the majors come. And then I get locked in like it's an Olympics. And I, and I watch the golf, and I look at the golfers, and I see who's been playing well. But I think ultimately we, the, the thing that bothers me the most is I, I want to see the deal. I want to know more about why the PGA Tour caved. And if you look back you know, at President Trump's tweets from like a year ago, he predicted a merger. I mean, it, if, unless I'm being fooled on Twitter, he predicted the merger – and I think a lot of business people saw that there would be problems and potential litigation problems for the PGA Tour. But um, I'm curious to know what's going on in your circle. Keep calling in. Let's go to Dre, who's in Portland. Dre, welcome back. Jay, I think it would be hard to – when I turn on golf, I don't know if it's the live tour or what, right? <laughs> like I always hit it like in mid – I'm like, oh, golf is on. Let me start watching it. 
So I think it would be hard to start watching something and then all of a sudden turn it off once I figure out it's the lift tour. Yeah. Does that make does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, you know it does. I mean? You don't you don't know what it was. You don't know what you were watching. Right. right. I thought it was just golf. I didn't know, right? But then my other point is this. I think we're also supporting a lot of like golfers and organizations and the truth hasn't even come out about them yet. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, sometimes you know, we're supporting people and golfers and athletes that have some skeletons in their closet, and we just don't know about them yet. So I think it's just – I don't know what my point is, but at some point things come to life. It's sports. I'm going to watch it. You know, I, I, I wish it wasn't associated with something bad, but right. I think it's going to be hard to just kind of turn it off. And, yeah, I think it's especially – like think about the majors. Brooks Kepka, you know, the, you know, CBS or whatever cuts to Brooks, Brooks Kepka. It's not like you're going to be like, oh, i got to turn it off. He's an LIV golfer. I didn't view it that way. My discomfort, I probably wouldn't have weighed in so firmly if the very first event wasn't being held in the state of Oregon. It was kind of embarrassing. Escalante Golf sold out. Sam's in Portland. Sam, welcome. Great segue, John. I wanted to touch on that. That one caller that was giving, you know, busting your chops about that, that's your, that's your job. That's what you do is you, you, you make a case, you give the information, you have other people on, experts to talk about the, the issue. So I don't know if that guy was a first-time caller or listener or he just doesn't get the program. But the other thing I wanted to say, too, I don't watch golf, so I don't really care. Yeah. But I do find it funny, all these people with a higher moral compass, you know, with this whole live thing, uh, do they feel the same way and not watch the Augusta? Does Augusta mm-hmm. allow women to be members now? Yeah, or, the, you know, yeah, there have been problems the over the years with a lot of these different events. I want more of your phone calls, 503-417-7575. Peter Jacobson should be on tomorrow's show. I'm waiting for confirmation on the time. On Thursday, Peyton Pritchard will be joining us to talk about the NBA Finals, life in the NBA Got some stories I want to share with you uh, coming up this hour. Anna will pop into the studio at some point. The 5 at 5 is on the horizon. I got a shout-out from Bill Walton today. Did you see that, Stephen? Bill Walton, give me a shout-out. I did. That was pretty cool. He was doing the mean tweets thing. Did he take my tweet as being mean? No, I don't think he did at all. I don't think he did either. I retweeted it, but uh, I, I like Bill Walton. I think people know that. I think Bill Walton knows that. Uh, his uh, his big 30 for 30 four-part series uh, on his life and his, I guess, his grooviness is uh, starting this week. First two episodes are dropping, and then uh, the next two episodes next week. Um, I got an advanced peek at all four episodes. I, Steven, I gave you a peek at that as well. Did you take a look at those? Um, I actually didn't, but I told my wife about wow. it, and we were both excited, and wow. we just couldn't get to it. <laughs> Thought I was sharing inside in- information. I know. With you. I, I wanted I know. to. I don't know if I was supposed to share that. So let's pretend that we didn't have that conversation. Allegedly, allegedly, gave them to you. Um, we're gonna play punch it audio coming up. I want more phone calls. You don't have to agree with me. You can disagree. You know, I disagree with people all the time. I think it's healthy. I think we've gotten to a place in our country where people disagree with each other. Everybody takes it so personally. Like we can't be friends. I can't listen to your show anymore. I can't read you. I can't live next to you. You don't agree with me. I can't follow you on social media because I only want to hear things that agree with me. 
Uh, let's not be that way, okay? Let, let's not do that to each other. It's okay. We, you know, you go into a restaurant. Stephen sits down. I sit down. Judah sits down. Judah orders a uh, porterhouse steak. I go, huh, that sounds pretty good. I'm also going to order a porterhouse steak. And then Stephen goes, you know what? I've been, I, I've been eating a little healthier. I'm just going to have a Caesar salad with some salmon on it, which is what something you'd do totally. Totally. Right? Yeah. yeah. And Judah and I don't, don't just you know, start punching you, hitting you, say you have to leave our table. You didn't order the same meal that we have. It's okay, folks. We can disagree. Let's get comfortable with that. We used to be comfortable with that. Glenn's in Portland. Glenn, welcome to the show. I don't know what Glenn's going to say, but I might disagree with it. Go ahead, Glenn. Okay, so here's my. I've got a couple points. First, first of all, the guys that switched over to live, yes, make complete sense financially, in my opinion. Yes. Um, but secondly, um, I didn't. I haven't heard the people with the outrage that the LPGA tour has been taking money from the Saudis for years. I'm like, yeah. well, okay, that's not a big deal either to me. Um, and the last one is. In terms of human rights violations, we ignore what's gone on in China for however long it's been happening. One of our one of our local companies has made an absolute ton of money and initially was making it off of child labor. And I'm a stockholder, so I don't like to say stuff like that, but it's the truth. Nike has made millions upon billions of dollars off of human rights violations. So sure. from my perspective... I'm like, uh, it doesn't really make any difference to me. These guys made financial decisions to play in it. If it can make the LPGA or the PGA Tour better, I don't know if it will or won't, um, then by all means, let it rip. Yeah, and I think what you're basically saying is there's a lot of ugly business that goes on out there. I think, you know, we would find consensus on that. If we're sitting next to each other having a drink, I'd say cheers to that. A lot of ugly business out there. We don't have to be okay with all of it. But I also cringe a little bit when people say, hey, why are we okay with gasoline but not okay with, you know, if the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund wanted to buy the Trailblazers? Um, gasoline, I don't have a choice in. I do have a choice whether I'm rooting for the Blazers or not, right? So I think there's the distinction. I think you have to make your mind up for yourself. What are you comfortable with? What are you okay with? I think if you do some of the research on some of the human rights issues that have happened here, even in America involving Saudi citizens who are whisked out in the under the cover of night uh, and they disappear and don't get to face justice and there's families who have um, people in their family who were murdered or killed and they, you know, they, they're, uh, they're re-victimized a second time, you might feel differently about it. Maybe you wouldn't. I don't know. Maybe you would still just say, hey, it's sports, it's gasoline, whatever. Uh, it doesn't make you a bad person. It just means we might disagree on some of this. Uh, I thought Glenn's call was uh, mostly sane and rational. I agreed with a lot of it. George is in Portland. George, go ahead. Hi. Hi, John. Where you lost me was uh, I understand that Saudi has blood on their hands, but then you brought on the Senator Wyden, who has all sorts of blood on his hand because he supports abortion. And abortion has killed 70 million hey, Americans. George, George, I don't think, George, I don't think. Remember when you called in and you said, sang the Blazer Eyes song? Yeah. Remember that? All those years yeah. ago? Do you still know the lyrics? 
No, I don't know. It was something blazerized. Damn it, George. I was just going to say, I, I miss the times when you would call in like that. And you would say, <laughs> you know, remember that? It was Greg Oden. It was, that was like, yeah. you, were, you were a listener back in the day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I might have it. I might have that call. Hold on. Let me just see if I've got it. Ah, man. It was a, it, it was a Blazer song you had come up with. You're a musician. Is that right? No, no, no. I'm not a musician. What, well, you just you made that up on the fly? I made it up on the fly, yeah. You made that up on the fly? Yeah. Great. It was, it, was it a Greg Oden song? It was uh, Lillard, Lillard, uh, Gonna Get Blazer Eyes. Yeah. Something like that. I like that call better. I like that better than today. Don't you know? Don't let's not go call into a different show and talk about you know the issues you want to talk yeah, about. But, I, I I don't want to do that on this show. I just don't. Is that okay? Can I make that choice? If we are uh, making choices, can I make the choice to say, ah, eh, we're you know we're not gonna we're not gonna we're gonna keep this space mostly free of that stuff. It's hard sometimes. I think one of the reasons why sports shows and stadiums and leagues have become such a lightning rod for political discussions is that it's one of the last places that everybody assembles. Not everybody goes, you know, to uh, to uh, rallies that are uh, pro-choice or pro-life. Generally, the people who go to those rallies are pro-choice and pro-life. But in sports stadiums, everybody shows up, and so it becomes a uh, a big issue for for everybody. Let's play Punch It Audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Damian Lillard says he wants to win in Portland. He thinks the Blazers have the assets to build a contender, but will they? Here's Lillard, punch it. They could trade me to somewhere that we all say, you know, this is a contender. But I mean, what is it gonna what is it gonna cost for me to get there? You know what I mean? Like what is it gonna cost the team that we're saying is a contender for me to get there? And how is it a guarantee that we're gonna be playing in June when I get there? How do we know if everybody's gonna be healthy? How do we know if it's gonna gonna work out? You know what I'm saying? Like, when Russ went to the Lakers, everybody was, the Lakers, you know what I mean? And then they got Russ coming off the bench like he's not a Hall of Famer, like, and try to try to put a battery in his back, like, man, if you come off the bench, that'd be like, man, that's worse Russell Westbrook. Like, what? But, like, um, neither thing is guaranteed, you know what I mean? If I go here, go there, I mean, so, I mean, I really don't know, but <clears throat> I think I've made it clear, you know, what my wishes are. You know, I want to do it. I want to have opportunity to win in Portland. And, you know, right now we got the we got an opportunity asset wise to to build our team that that can build a team that can compete. You know, that would be the number one thing. But if we can't do that, um, then, you know, obviously, like I've said you know, for months now, like, then it's a separate conversation that we would have to have. Say it. 
don't say it's a separate conversation. Say, if we can't do that, I'm probably not going to be here, or I don't want to be here. Why won't he say it, Stephen? I don't know. He's playing both sides here because he's saying, you know, if I leave, it's not going to work for sure, but I don't want to leave. I want to be here in Portland. But at the same time, if you want to trade me, if we do that, I'm with you, John. Just just say it. Like, it's okay. We all know it. We all know it, and we all understand that this that's how important this draft is. You know, the Blazers are going to choose direction. Are they going to choose to build with Dame, or are they going to look to, you know, shop Dame around? It, it's okay at this point. We're at this point in the in his career. Just say it, man. I, I think there's, that for him, like, it's a big thing. You know, maybe it's like the first time you, you, you tell your significant other, I love you. It, there's a, with Damian Lillard, I feel like he is a person of his word, and I think he's struggling to say, you know, like Fonzie. Fonzie couldn't say he was sorry. Damian Lillard can't say I want out. And I mean, I understand. I kind of understand that. You know, like he's been very consistent on what he said. He has never said anything different than what he's saying right now. His whole entire career. So I, I, you know, on that point, yeah, I get it. But at the same time, we we all know the situation right now. It's, it would be okay. I think this is the one time we understand. And I, I'm just waiting for him to say it. Like say it because he keeps kind of hinting around it. He walks right up to the line and then he turns around and comes back. Jimmy Butler, Miami Heat. He went to community college, played one year at Tyler Community College, three years at Marquette, said he's grateful for the JUCO experience. Here's Jimmy Butler punching. I'm grateful for Tyler Junior College. Taught me a lot about the game of basketball. Um, I, I don't know, I, I had so much belief in myself, uh, not to say that I would be up here talking to y'all in the finals, but I just knew I could be a, a really good basketball player, maybe make a little bit of money doing basketball overseas. And um, they taught me a lot at Tyler Junior College about the game of basketball. Um, and then, you know, go to Marquette for three years. I think JUCO just so happened to be, like, the best thing for me. And I couldn't tell you that at the time. It was frustrating that I wasn't playing Division I basketball. But, my goodness, I got so much love for Tyler Junior College. I have love for community colleges in general. They get a bad rap. People look at community college and they say, ooh, you know, you didn't have the grades. In some cases, uh, it wasn't the grades. I attended two community colleges before going off uh, to a four-year school. And, and I know a lot of other people who have as well. Aaron Rodgers is another one. Uh, attended uh, Butte Community College before ending up at Cal. Um, I think Jimmy Butler's a great story. And I think you know the more people can talk about these kinds of things, the more it helps remove the stigma of somebody went to community college. Oh, they were a non-qualifier. You know, I don't know why Jimmy Butler went to community college. It may have just been he wasn't ready for a four-year school. He didn't have the offers. I don't know. Uh, the community college scene in California is big time. And you get San Francisco Community College, De Anza College, West Valley College, really good basketball programs, some good football programs. Jimmy Butler in the state uh, of Texas at Tyler Community College um, got it done as well. Let's talk about Justin Herbert and his contract. Chris Sims does not believe Herbert has to be the top-paid quarterback. Brandon Staley, the Chargers coach, said that the contract discussions with Herbert are ongoing. Here's Chris Sims. Punch yeah, he's, he's got to be sensitive. You don't know how long you can play, how long it's going to last. you got to capitalize. you also got to push the market for the other players and quarterbacks in football. That's something we talked about a little last week. That is your duty. Uh, but, yeah, he is definitely one that I would categorize, uh, categorize as I don't think he really cares all that much. As long as he's just in that upper stratosphere somewhere, 
I think he's content and he'll he's not going to make too much of an issue over this. Yeah. Also, Herbert's set to make twenty nine and a half million dollars this year, fifth year option. But um, you know, it'll be interesting this season. Excuse me, he's twenty nine and a half million in twenty twenty four under the fifth year option. This season, he'll make only four million. So. You're looking at the market with Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson. I only bring this up because, all right, let's just say he's at $30 million a year. Um, Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson each got $255 million plus this year. Herbert will get a deal. He's under contract through 2024, and 2024 he gets paid. Herbert will get a long-term deal. It behooves the Chargers to cut the deal with Herbert, but... I think Herbert is probably more incentivized to get something done soon, given that he's got the potential in the next two years, 2023 and 2024, to suffer an injury. So, you know, I guess there's insurance out there for such things, but I think Justin Herbert would love to get the contract situation wrapped up. I don't think it's going to be quick and easy, though. Wouldn't it surprise you at all, like Kristen says, it wouldn't surprise him if Herbert doesn't take the most money or doesn't want to be the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL. You look at Lamar, Jalen Hurts, when they signed their deals, they were number one of all time. Herbert, you know, Patrick Mahomes, he's getting a lot of credit for taking less money. Yeah. Herbert seems like one of those type of guys as well, that it's not necessarily all about the money. Like, he wants to you know, spread it out, make sure his team is okay. That's why I went to his fifth-year option, because he's off that rookie contract in 2024, and then the Chargers have an option. But that option scales him to $29.5 million a year. Anybody who's spent any time around Justin Herbert knows that is more money than he ever imagined he would ever earn anywhere, you know, until the NFL became a possibility. And I do think you're right. I think you've seen star players who get it, who are in the quarterback position, either structure their quarterbacks in a way that is friendly to the franchise because they know, hey, I can only be as successful as the people around me allow me to be. And Justin Herbert does feel like he's one of those kind of guys. And I also think, look, if you don't, if you don't push for 255 plus and a dollar or whatever and try to be the highest paid guy, I think it takes some pressure off him. And I think, you know, there's a little less pressure when you walk in and you're like the fifth highest paid quarterback in the league, not the first. You're still rich beyond your wildest dreams, but there's a little bit of pressure off you. And guess what? Maybe you got an offensive lineman who's a little better. Maybe you have, uh, you know, a defensive tackle the team couldn't otherwise have signed. Maybe you have an additional receiver at your disposal. Patrick Mahomes has done this well. He gets it. Dan Patrick was unpacking the Isaiah Rogers situation. Did Isaiah Rogers bet against the Colts? There's an interesting comparison to Pete Rose. He was talking to David Purdom, who covers sports gambling for ESPN. Here's Dan Patrick and David Purdom kicking around the Isaiah Rogers topic. Again, remember, he plays for the Colts, apparently placed a whole bunch of wagers on NFL games. Punch it. See, the big thing I want to know, it's like when Pete Rose told me years ago that he bet on the Reds to win every night. Well, he could still manipulate the lineup. Doesn't make sense that he bet on them if he was trying to make money. But if Isaiah Rogers bet against the Colts, even if it's 50 or $100, is that a lifetime ban? You would think so. Uh, anytime a player has uh, stepped out of line like that, it is be a significant penalty. So far, the ones that have been caught to uh, that have bet on the NFL – it's been at least a year suspension before they are allowed to apply for reinstatement. Um, so we'll have to see what the NFL does with this one. 
You mentioned Pete Rose and betting. A lot of people say, well, if they're betting on their team, why does it matter? Well, were they betting the same amount every time? Did they bet a little less on this game so they didn't try maybe just hard? It's just a can of worms that I don't think the NFL wants to open up at all. Uh, if you're involved in the NFL, you can't bet on the NFL. It's pretty sad, much that simple. I would go further than that if I were these sports leagues because I think it's a slippery slope. I think if you are a professional athlete who's under contract with a league, a professional league, you probably shouldn't be wagering at all. Just stay away from it. I think it's a bad uh, precedent to start. I think it's a bad look. Let the leagues be involved. Let the leagues be the hypocrites. Leagues are in bed with DraftKings and FanDuel and Fantasy Sports and there's a couple of major league ballparks that have casinos built into them with sports books, and yet you don't go wager on games now. Um, it's kind of silly if you think about it. Jay Monahan is the head of the PGA Tour. He announced today a deal between the PGA and LIV Golf. Here's Monahan. Punch it. Well, listen, a lot of people have been reading about the tension. Um, and that we've talked a lot. Um, and I said previously that we were going down our path, they were going down theirs. And today, that tension goes away. The litigation is dropped. We're announcing to the world that on behalf of this game, we're coming together. And it's, it's less about how people respond today, and it's all about how people respond in 10 years. And when they see the impact that we're having on this game together, there will be a lot of smiles on people's faces, and there will be a lot more people playing this game all over the world. And if you're a young player that wants to get to the highest level of the game today, you'll be more inspired than you've ever been before. Monaghan and the PGA Tour, I believe, caved. It's possible that there were some other golfers like Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm who might have been leaning towards joining the LIV Tour. It's also possible that the two entities both found themselves in a position where neither one of them really wanted to be deposed on an issue. Neither one of them wanted to open the books. LIV was probably bleeding money with the amount of money they were paying the golfers. And and their TV deal was not giving them a media rights contract that was generating any kind of significant income. Meanwhile, the PGA Tour facing um, a Department of Justice inquiry looking at whether or not they they were in violation of antitrust law. Uh, I think nobody wanted to go any further with any of the litigation, neither side. There's some common ground here. Decide for yourself if you're going to watch. I think if you were a golf fan who watched golf, you're probably going to continue to watch golf. I think there's some disappointment from about 20% of the audience. I think 80% of the audience kind of shrugged and moved forward. And, you know, uh, I think there are bigger fish to fry in a lot of people's families and neighborhoods and jobs and whatnot. But it's, you know, I think it, I'm a little surprised that it's such a hot button issue for so many people today. I think it's dominated sports radio across the country. I made an appearance on KJR in Seattle earlier today. and They said, all we've been talking about is LAB golf. And I was like, There's some other things we need to talk about. And on that note, leave it here. You got the BFT statewide. Anna's in the studio. How you doing? I'm well. How are you? Well, I'm well. Trying to be grammatically correct. I noticed that. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I uh, I uh, had an interesting interaction yesterday and today Yeah. with uh, the Molden family. Everybody knows the Molden family. Alex Molden played his college ball at Oregon. Uh -huh. Comes on this show frequently. Yeah. He's got um, eight kids, five boys, three girls. 
and fantastic names in this family, by the way. You know, should I go through the names? You can. Can I? Because I, I can't say that, and people who don't know the names are going to be like, well, give the names. I'm going to get emails later. Hey, how come we didn't give the names of all the kids? Okay, I'll, I'll try to do my best here in remembering off the top of my head the names of the kids. Uh, five boys, Isaiah, Elijah, Micah, Josiah, and Ezra. Three girls, Bianca, Alana, and Selah. How's that? Yeah, you got them. I got them all. Nailed it. Okay, so uh, Elijah's with the Titans. Uh, Josiah's an eighth grader, at least for another week. Then he's headed to Westland High School. Ezra is a fourth grader and uh, happens to be a classmate of our, or will be a fourth grader. He's a third grader now. Mm -hmm. Happens to be a classmate with our third grader. Okay? So we know the kid a little bit. Um, So Josiah as an eighth grader, received a scholarship offer, a non-binding offer from University of Oregon a couple few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. It created kind of a stir. And yes, there is a little bit of a publicity stunt angle involved sometimes when you see kids who are sixth, seventh, eighth graders getting offered scholarships. But I really took this as a sign that what Oregon is trying to do, what Dan Lanning is trying to do, is signal to the Molden family Hey, we lost Elijah to Washington. <laughs> we are not going to get caught napping on this one. We're going to be early mm-hmm. to the party. So the the school making the first offer, it's a big deal to these kids. They never forget the first offer. And I think that that's important to remember. Brandon Huffman, who is the national recruiting analyst for 24-7 Sports, told me, he said, that first offer, those kids always talk about, well, they offered me first. So I think there's some there's some brilliance in this. And um, I know that Josiah met with Lanning and met with the defensive back coach at Oregon and has already, you know, had a visit. Mm-hmm. Okay? So Oregon's recruiting the kid. Yeah. So Washington saw that. Kalen DeBoer became the second program to <laughs> offer Josiah a scholarship. And I noted it because Josiah tweeted it out. Mm-hmm. Then came Oregon State. Jonathan Smith, not going to get caught napping either. So the kid's in eighth grade, has three offers. Now, yesterday, I saw a tweet that Josiah said, I was pleased to get my fourth offer. It's from Portland State. Mm -hmm. And then I retweeted it, and then I later heard from the Molden parents who said, hey, that wasn't a real offer. Apparently, some probably some high school kid who's jealous that an eighth grader's getting a bunch of scholarship offers pretended to be Bruce Barnum at Portland State and offer a scholarship. They so it, So Portland State had no so knowledge. Crummy. It's crummy. It's terrible. And it's a it's a good learning moment, you know, for an eighth grader who's going, hey, you know, but apparently someone via text contacted the parents and said, I'm Bruce Barnum, I'm offering a scholarship, just wanna you know Oh and so geez. Josiah tweeted it and then the mom said, Hey, you know, we're really embarrassed, can you you know, just wanted you to know. Yeah. And I deleted, everything got deleted. Okay. It was okay. fine. Well, Portland State apparently found out about it. Bruce Barnum wasted no time and <laughs> said, uh, apparently, I, you know, I didn't have a conversation directly with Barnum about a recruit because that would be an NCAA violation. Right. But apparently Barnum said, you know, he thought Josiah was probably a Pac-12 kid all the way. Yeah. And hadn't yet thought it would be wise for him to jump in on that but apparently today he made a formal uh, portland state offered josiah a scholarship to make it official wow so thanks to that prankster out there (laughs) 
who helped negotiate another deal. Yeah. Now, wouldn't the cool thing be for Portland State to offer Ezra? Like the fourth grader to be? The grader to be, the, yeah, He's the yeah. fourth grader to be. Yeah. That would be the Bruce Barnum move. Bruce Barnum bought beer for people who went to the game, uh-huh. okay, two yeah. years ago. Cost yeah. him like 30 grand. So <laughs> he, on this show, he said, I'll buy you a beer if you go to the game. <laughs> Everybody went to the game. I'm, it wasn't really 30 grand. I, I got to look it up. I got to look up what the the amount was. It was, it was a lot. I remember yeah. it being a lot and you, Barnum being a little surprised at how well that little – Cutesy promotional idea. No, no, it wasn't thirty. It was blew up. it was fourteen thousand four hundred forty-eight dollars. Okay, not not small, you know. <laughs> but he came on the show. Not, not a small. In my amount. mind, it felt like thirty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm using inflated beer prices. This is big sky beer prices. <laughs> yeah. But you know, Bruce Barnum said, "If you go to the game, I'll buy you a I'll buy your beer," <laughs> and everybody decided beer yeah. was a good a reason to go to Hillsboro. Yeah, well. And it's $14,438 later. Mm. Barnum sent me a text that night with a picture of the receipt. Yeah. I wonder what the tip is on that. Mm. You know, do you tip on that? I don't think you do. You should. I don't think you do. Why not? Because you're at the ballpark. You don't tip like the you... guy who's pouring the overpriced beer, do you? Do you? I don't know. I don't buy beers at the games. There's You tip everywhere now. Everywhere. Steven, do you tip when you go to Moda Center and you buy a beer or you go to a ballpark and you buy a beer? I don't think you do. No, I don't think you have to. Steven's a voice of reason. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I mean, you're paying so much for the ticket, for the food, the drink. I, I think it, I think it's enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that person's making minimum wage. Why not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they should be making better than minimum wage for the prices of the beers. Yeah. Um, so uh, apparently Portland State is now offered. Wow. What should happen... Between now and his senior year? No, what should happen to the prankster? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, are they really ever going to figure out who did it? Oh, I think you, you can figure out pretty quickly. You have, like, criminally profiled this person as a jealous eighth grader. No, a jealous high school kid. High school kid. I think it's kid. a high school kid. You think it's a high school kid? I think it's a high school kid in the same community. Okay. That's my bet. Yeah. You know, I, I had... down for, like, being a parent. I had a youth pastor yeah. who... Uh, Worked with kids in Wilsonville, Westland, mm-hmm. Lake Oswego. Yeah. Reach out to me and said, I could probably figure this out in about a half an hour if I wanted to dedicate my time to it. Yeah. But yeah. I also think that. Those kid, youth pastors are well connected, but you know. I, you know, as the pastor <laughs> said, kids in that community eat their own like no, nobody else. <laughs> Jeez. So. But think of like. Think of the gall, if you were a high school student, think of the gall that you'd have to have to create a fake number, figure out one of the Molden's phone numbers, yeah. and text them that fake offer. Terrible. And to and understand to pick, the ramifications And here's the stupid thing. Like, what's, like, I've never understood people who make fake things anyway. Yeah. That, like, I had somebody tweet at me the other day, tweeted awful thing at me. And then I looked at it. The person had zero followers. It's a brand new account. Somebody created an account just to tweet something that they thought it would hurt my feelings. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I can't even remember what they tweeted. Okay. <laughs> it took, they, they had to create a Twitter account yeah. to do this. Well, you must have really torqued them. On but who has time for this? Yeah. Well. There, there are a variety of accounts that are like fake me accounts mm-hmm. that have surfaced on Twitter. And people are like, you should get that shut down. I'm like, <laughs> Well, if I had extra time in my day, right. I would dedicate my all my time to searching Twitter for people who are impersonating me and try to get them shut down. But 
I also have a life. <laughs> and I wonder if those people do. And I wonder if that person, I hope it's a kid who was doing that, because if it was a grown-up, it's even worse. Yeah. If it's a kid, I could at least say, what an immature thing to do. And, and you know, from the standpoint, like, I don't think that, that like, Josiah has anything to feel bad about. Yeah, no. Like, you know, this is not like you got duped by a Nigerian scammer and you lost your life savings. It's just somebody stupid who came up with a stupid prank and, like, they think that's funny. Isn't that, like, one of those big life lessons, too, though, that, you know, with that kind of exposure, with that kind of, um, I don't want to say notoriety because that kind of has a bad connotation to it. Right. But with exposure comes the trolls i mean this is you know he's learning firsthand here um what jealousy looks like and it is kind of it's a sad statement in our society that we feel the need to like tear each other down that yeah. way it's like it's like no, no no don't let him rise above let's let's pull him down you know what i was thinking about ted lasso on that note on that very theme you're talking about the Ted Lasso show just ended. Steven's the only one that hated it. Everyone else loved it. But <laughs> He's the outlier. Here's, here's what I loved about the show. Ted Lasso didn't cuss until his mother showed up in an episode. Well, naturally. Okay, but he didn't cuss. When people threw crap at him, called him names, he just was Teflon to it. Mm-hmm. He shrugged it off, smiled in their face, gave yeah. him a... Kill him with it, kindness. And he, he lifted people around him up. The yeah. character lifted everybody up. Yeah. And there's something redeeming about that. Yeah. That that he brought others up. And I think there's um if somebody's out there trying to cause a prank and reduce somebody else, it, I think it says a lot about their own insecurities. Oh, absolutely. This has definitely got the fingerprints for me of somebody who feels bad that they aren't the one being recruited. Well, and, and the it, reality yeah. is that Molden family, they've got a strong collective background, backbone. You know, they've got two incredibly ethical parents that are raising great kids. Like, this is going to be a blip for them. This is going to be something they use as a teachable moment for oh, yeah. their kids. And Alex will probably talk about it, too, in his speeches and whatnot, you know, that he does. He's a speaker now. Yep. And, you know, for them... They will rise above it because they're not going to let something like that bring them down. It's interesting, and I think it's uh, you. You mentioned teachable moment because I think it's a it's a safe little teachable moment too, because you know it's just a reminder for a young person who's a that he's in the spotlight, as you pointed out. I think it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, I I'd like to say I've never duped anybody, but it did jar a memory for me. You duped someone? Well. Uh, tell me if I'm bad for this or good for this. Okay, probably bad. No. I'm your wife, so I'm going to just call it what I it was is. playing baseball in college. Uh-huh. We had a young pitcher who was a freshman. Okay. Who was easily distracted. Okay. Okay. Meaning fly he, crosses his... He was very what? talented. Okay. His name is Bobby Conway. Okay. He's a very talented left-handed pitcher, but he was young, easily distracted, very kind of immature. Okay. Um, I'm playing third base. He's pitching. And I walk over to him right before he's going to start the game, and I say to him, hey, I think there's a uh, scout in the stands today. Oh, no. Look at the guy in the second row. I had no idea if it was a scout or not. (laughs) But Bobby Conway said, do you think? I said, yeah, I think he's here. And and you know what? You're a left-handed pitcher. Throw strikes. And he pitched like a shutout that day. Mm. Now, after the game, (laughs) 
the poor guy in the stands walked over to the opposing one of the opposing players and gave him a hug. It was someone's grandpa. Oh, no. But I think that was a good use of a prank. Hmm. Like, I wasn't there to bring him down. I was offering him focus. I wasn't mm-hmm. trying to dupe him into thinking he had an offer from a college. Yeah. I was just saying, hey, there's a scout in the stands. Stephen, am I a horrible human being for doing that? Uh, horrible is harsh, but not good, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because... Alternately, you didn't know how he was going to react to oh, that no, I knew. idea. I thought it would focus him. You I played with his emotions, down. though. That's the thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, Way I played with him positively. Uh, Threw a shutout, for crying out loud. Give me a break. He was you also hurt in his, that You day. also really hurt his feelings, because then after the game, he was like, oh, I'm not being scouted? Like, oh, never mind. That's someone's grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> Details. Sweet. <laughs> never mind. Leave it here. You got the BFT statewide. I see a lot of dumb things on social media. Do you see dumb things on social media, Anna? Most things I see on social media are dumb. I, I saw a bunch of people uh, who had screenshotted the uh, Colorado regents uh, were having a meeting. and This uh, again? Yeah. There was uh, the agenda for uh, today's executive session at the University of Colorado was screenshotted by some media members who are, I just don't think they're paying attention. Uh, and they were holding it up as evidence that this is, is Colorado leaving the Pac-12 conference. And uh, basically, the agenda included legal advice on a specific matter, athletics matter, at CU Boulder. Now, I saw that, and I went, gosh, I feel like I've seen that a whole bunch of times, because I do pay attention to all the regents' meetings around the Pac-12 conference. I said, I've seen legal matter, all that jargon a bunch of times. And um, I did run down this morning with a couple of sources and asked, hey, what what is this Colorado thing about? Anything I need to know? And it turns out that the matter that they were getting advice on was the PAC. The, uh, it was just an update on the PAC-12 conference media rights negotiations. Okay. It's not Colorado leaving. It's not. And by the way, Colorado wouldn't hold that meeting now if they were leaving. This wouldn't be, let's do it now. They would wait until the day before the the deal was up, just like UCLA and USC did, and they would go, hey, we're leaving for another conference. Um, this would be not the right time to do it. You'd do it in, like, July if mm-hmm. you were going to leave. Mm-hmm. So um, it's nothing, okay? It's nothing. <laughs> and if you saw it on social media, I hope you rolled your eyes like me, or maybe you unfollowed whoever put it out there because – it's nothing. I'll tell you if you need to know. If Colorado or Arizona or somebody's leaving the conference, I will tell you. It, you'll get an inkling. Right now, I can tell you this. Oregon and Washington are committed to the Pac-12. So are eight other members, aside from UCLA and USC, who continue to tell each other, we're engaged, we like where this is going, I think we'll get a resolution here. Yeah, it's supposed to be late spring, early summer. Remember, June 21st is the first day of summer. Mm-hmm. We're closing in on that time, that target. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to say that is the target because I, you know, I believed it was Thanksgiving. I believed it was Christmas. I believed <laughs> it was January, and I'm not the person making the decision. I am the reporter talking to the people making the decision, and I'm being told. They are still engaged. They still like the numbers. They're moving in the right direction. There is kind of a soft deadline of June 30th hanging out there because San Diego State would need to inform the Mountain West Conference on June 
30th, July 1st, rather, okay. that they are leaving the Mountain West mm. if they are going to join the Pac-12. So some are speculating that that is kind of a pivot point. But really, if you think about it, San Diego State could inform the Mountain West Conference they're leaving, and then the Pac-12 could wait several days before making an announcement. Mm -hmm. It's not to say we're going to get an announcement on June 30th, but I checked with my sources, and they said we are still targeting late spring, early summer. Guess what? That's the next two weeks. Okay. Stay tuned. Mm -hmm. But this Colorado thing. Do you think people are getting wiser about that? Colorado kind of reporting maybe you know? do you think I don't know they don't get I think as ruffled and no, excited about it no anymore? I think people believe what they want and they sort of make the they make the news or the clues fit their belief system mm. they, they it's confirmation bias yeah you know they have like the the big 12 fans have it in their mind that they're going to get Colorado or they're going to get Arizona and Colorado or they're going to get Utah Arizona State, Arizona, and Colorado, okay? So they look for confirmation of that. Yeah. Oh, there's a regents meeting at Colorado, and it says they're looking for their legal advice on a athletics-related matter at Colorado. Mm-hmm. They don't think to go back in the last five years and look at every regents meeting minutes, which I did, mm-hmm. and see that this frequently appears on the agenda. Yeah. They don't think to call one or two of the Pac-12 CEO group members, president or chancellor, maybe they don't have a number, I don't know, and go, hey, do I need to know anything? Mm -hmm. Is Colorado iffy here? They don't do that. Yeah, but, I mean, that kind of conversation, you don't even get a call back unless you have a pre-existing relationship that you've worked to Yeah, but I just it's disappointing to me to see people who screenshot it and go, oh, important matter, like, okay, give me a break. Mm -hmm. Give me a break. Yeah. Just, No. If you don't know, you don't see me tweeting about Taylor Swift because I don't know. Okay? Stay in your lane. Do you see me tweeting about the relationship between Taiwan and China? No, I don't. I guess there was a battleship, a U.S. battleship that came within 150 yards of a of a uh, Chinese uh, aircraft carrier or destroyer or some kind of ship. Yeah. I don't even know what kind of ship it was. Yeah. You don't see me tweeting about it, do you? Because you know why? Because I don't know jack about it. Stay in my lane. This is my lane. Do you see me giving my my uh, picks for like, um, you know. Wimbledon? Huh? Wimbledon? No, I, I don't. <laughs> I like that you said Wimbledon. Do you see me playing pickleball? No, I'm in my lane. Okay. Well, you should play pickleball. So whenever you see crap like this perpetuated by other members of the media, ask yourself, are they experts in this area? And if they're not. You may want to check, you know, John Wilner's timeline. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I reached out to Wilner this morning. Yeah. I said, you see this Colorado thing? Yeah. Texted him. You see this Colorado thing? He what goes, did he, say? he goes, I haven't seen a, I haven't looked at it. And I said, well, there's some agenda item everybody's freaking out about. And I said, but, you know, I'm going to run it down. And he's like, oh, I'm busy with eighth grade graduation. <laughs> By the way, do you think, do you think there should be elementary? He's, he's busy with elementary school graduation. He's, he has a sixth grader who's going to seventh next year. Or fifth grader who's going into sixth, okay. middle school. Okay, right. Do you think kids should celebrate leaving elementary school to go to middle school, leaving middle school to go to high school? Or do you should you only celebrate a high school graduation and a college graduation? I don't mind the eighth grade graduation going to high school. 
I'm a little confused, and only because I I think when I was little, we didn't have it. It's like you finished elementary school, and then good luck to you in middle school. You know, there was no ceremony that I can remember. Did you have some kind of ceremony either at the end of fifth or sixth grade? Yeah, my parents. Did you have something? My parents picked me up, and they said, "How was the year?" And I said, "It was good." And they said, "Good, we're going to go home now." That yeah. was the celebration. Yeah. So that. <laughs> That ritual has become a lot bigger in recent why? years. Why? Why is that? I don't participation know. trophies, is Anna. That why? I think it, we have a mentality now where we feel like we have to celebrate everything. Yeah. I good like celebrate good grades. Okay. But I don't know if we should be having like a big party. Yeah. If somebody's moving from fifth grade to sixth know. grade, I don't. I don't necessarily see the harm of it. That's not a graduation. No, it's just a move up kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I think like our school does a clap out or something like that. I, I don't know. Some I schools. I don't know how do I feel something. about the phrase clap out. <laughs> Why? Because if you have the clap, that's not a good thing. Why yeah. would you want to clap it out? You well, know, I don't know. I, I just think I am of the mindset that the, the graduation ceremonies are special. Yeah. See, the first day of kindergarten is special. Mm -hmm. That's why we both go and we see the kids off to kindergarten. Well, they have a kindergarten graduation, and we cry. Now. You didn't. You yeah. didn't complain about that last year. Did I year. attend? No. No, you were busy. I didn't attend. I boycotted <laughs> you it. Boycotted it. <laughs> you know. When you say graduation, are you talking like they all get recognized, or you just have like an end of the year party? Yeah. No. Dun, no. 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 Na, last year, na, na, in the kindergarten, mm -hmm. our then kindergartner wore. A paper hat and gown, and received a certificate. Walked the stage. Uh -huh. Dad was not I, present. I'm boycotting that too. Yeah, I'm out. Yeah, wow. I said, like oh. my little one has a preschool party on Thursday. I'm going to go to the party and hang out. Party's but, fine, but they're not giving out degrees. Uh, I bet you she's. He's going to get a certificate. Well, if he gets one, it's in the garbage. Oh, right <laughs> away. Garbage. Do it in front of the teacher too. Yeah, you're not going to frame it. Take you that, teacher it. Janice. Say, you know what? Just say, you know what? When you graduate high school or college, we'll have a we'll let you keep it. Steven's just gonna <laughs> chuck it in the recycling bin on the way out. I think at least it's a recycling should, bin, not the garbage. We, I do think you should celebrate <laughs> your small victories in life, but I don't think you need to have a graduation celebration with music and a keynote speaker and everybody dressed nice and paper is, hats is this why kids are all growing up anxious because they're not sure when they're actually doing well because we're constantly telling them how great and how special they are mm -hmm. and it's like white noise so they can't recognize the difference between well, when they've actually accomplished something and when they haven't i've been thinking about this a lot i don't necessarily want our kids to think I love them, I want them to love themselves first, right? Leave it here. How did I end last segment? What did I say? What was my last thought last segment? Something about you not really needing your kids to know that you love them. No, no, no. That's not what I meant. And I hope nobody like that's not just turned off the radio at that point. They lost me. They're going into a tunnel. I thought it was funny. <laughs> what I'm saying is I want them to love themselves first. Yeah, for sure. Because I'm not going to be here forever. Well, we've talked about that. The difference between telling them, I'm proud of you, which is fine. Yeah. But asking them, how do you feel? And, and I feel like the participation award culture that we have mm -hmm. and celebrating, oh, you're moving from kindergarten to first grade. Oh, you're moving from fifth grade to sixth grade. Let's have a party. Which is what you're supposed you to do. You walk in gowns. <laughs> yeah. You know, congrats. 
you uh, you made it to the next grade. I feel like that whole thing is designed for the kids to look over and go, are my parents proud of me? They're throwing a party. Did I get a gift? Yeah. Instead of them being proud of themselves. I hadn't quite thought about it that way. But I, there's some, I think there's some truth to that. Because when you talk to young-ish people, like who are in their 20s now, and they've grown up in this culture of, you know, being celebrated for all these yeah. milestones and quotes. Yeah. It... I think there are a fair number of these 20-somethings and even 30-somethings that say that it's all a little confusing to them. They don't quite know, you know, what the metrics are as young adults Mm -hmm. to figure out what is success, how do I feel about myself internally, how do I measure success when the grown-ups around me in my life have consistently told me how terrific i am or what happens when those grown-ups pass yeah think about, about that, think yeah. about you you know i have had this conversation with a lot of people who are in their 30s 40s 50s mm-hmm. 60s as parents are aging yeah and the conversation is you know as, as somebody's dad passes away they say i don't know what to do with myself now because i was living all the time thinking about pleasing that person i wanted that person to be proud of me yeah and i've thought a lot about that and i grew up that way i grew up seeking that validation like i wanted my parents to be proud of me Mm -hmm. which i think is a natural instinct but i also think some of that was fostered by you know did you win an award do you have a trophy did you make the all-star team that kind of stuff for sure and i think i have mentally let go of some of that in recent years and stop trying so hard to, like, I, I realize, like, I'm not trying to please them. I should be trying to just be happy. Yeah. You know? And so I fear that when we do, hey, you're, you graduated from fifth grade to sixth grade, <laughs> for crying out loud, <laughs> most people do. Why are, we ha- why are we celebrating that? I think there's a fine line. I think our, our culture, in particular America, like, I think we swung real far. Over, like, we swung from the generation that was like, just shut up, eat your sorrow, and suck it up, and work through it. And, you know, to you're amazing for all these menial things that you might do, and we're going to celebrate it and give you a trophy for it. But I think the truth is, like, somewhere in the middle, right? Like, we want kids to feel supported in their endeavors, but we don't want to go so far that they can't quite put their finger on what is value. Uh, it's like, hard what is to... Their personal value? You, you hit on something that I'm going to go with. I don't know if you're right on this. And maybe parents who are older than me can, can absorb this and you can call in with your own experience. But recently, I caught myself saying to the kids, hey, I'm really proud of you, especially the 20-year-old, okay? Hey, I'm really proud of you. Mm-hmm. And I realized, like, I look at her and I think she a lot of what she does in her life is like a lot of kids seeking validation from parents and whatnot. Hey, am I doing okay? Mm-hmm. I'm achieving. I'm doing okay. Yeah. And you said, Hey, you know, remember to ask her if she's proud of herself. And I said to her, are you proud of yourself? That's important. So I'm hammering that right now with the three girls. Yeah. Like, are you proud of yourself? How did it feel when mm-hmm. you rode that bike for the first time, seventh grader? And, um, and I want to see how that works asking them to kind of reflect or maybe be aware of how they feel when they're achieving something instead of looking to me for like, did I do it? 
Did I, you know, am I good enough? But, like, I would go a step further, and I would want all three of our kids to feel like they have value regardless of whether they're achieving things. Because I think you and I both grew up with that mentality for whatever reason. <laughs> whatever it is that we didn't get as kids, we felt like we needed to collect a lot of accolades along the way and, and get that recognition. Um, and we did, and we have. But I think my goal as a mom and our goal as a family, I would ideally like our kids to know that they are valued just by being who they are. By okay. being, you know, ethical. You know what we should people. do? Ideally, what we would do is we would, because we have two daughters who are roughly the same age. Yeah. We should tell one of them, I'm so proud of you all the time. And, oh, have, yeah. and use the yeah. other theory with the other one. Just do human experiments. And figure out yeah. which one was right yeah. in the end. Yeah, solid plan. That's a good It would strategy. help others. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Guinea pigs the in five, our own home. The five at five. Five biggest stories going on in the world. Let's do it. The five at five. Anna's number one story is... I know it's the talk of the nation today, and maybe it's the talk all around the globe, but... I took interest in what the 9-11 Families Group is saying with the PGA Tour merging with Live Golf. And they are not happy. They are saying, in particular, Jay Monahan is a hypocrite and that the PGA have become paid Saudi shills. They are shocked and deeply offended by this news. And they're pointing out that they feel betrayed because Monaghan even talked last summer about knowing people who lost loved ones on 9-11. About this, there was a story that was first reported uh, in the New York Post yesterday by Brian Wacker about a 9-11 coalition of families and survivors of the 2001 terrorist attacks. 9-11 um, families united sent a letter to the representatives of Phil, Dustin, Bryson, Reed, and others quote, expressing their outrage towards the golfers for participating in the new league and accusing them of sports washing and betraying the United States, end quote. And that's gotten a lot of steam over the last 24 hours. That story first reported again in the New York Post. How much did you talk to your players about the possible ramifications if they sign on with the new league? Well, I talked to players I've talked at a player meeting, and I've and I've talked to a number of players uh, individually uh, for a long period of time. And I think you'd have to be living under a rock to not know that there are significant implications. And as it relates to the families of 9/11, uh, I have two families that are close to me that lost loved ones, and so my heart goes out to them. And I would ask, you know, any player that has left or any player that would ever consider leaving have you ever had to apologize for being a member of the pga tour there he was 359 days ago today he's going eh, show business not show friends uh moving on number two story <laughs> wow uh yeah that quote didn't really hold up did it um on a lighter note uh the buffalo bills new stadium officially broke ground uh, it's new $1.5 billion stadium that they hope to have ready for the 2026 season. Uh, they had that big ceremony today with shovels in the ground where people in suits pretend to, like, actually dig. <laughs> 
That's always fun to watch. <laughs> but I thought it's interesting that um, it's going to be a, a grass field like Lambeau. Yeah. And it will have coil underneath to keep the field warm. They're excited about this. Um, the Bills have been playing on artificial turf uh, at Highmark Stadium since 1973. The team pushed for a grass field, um, even though, you know, the artificial surface is easier to maintain. And they're not going to dome it. So they're they're going to, like, creatively construct it so that 65% of the crowd will still be, like, protected from the elements in Buffalo. But they felt like doming it would be a big mistake. They got an advantage there. Green Bay, you know, Buffalo. You know, there are just some stadiums where you expect to see snow plows and and uh and weather i like that it's different than every other experience that you get they're going to be a good story this year they got damar hamlin who's participating in team drills for the first time uh, i think there's a sour taste in the bill's mouth the way that their their season ended again uh under bad elements against a good cincinnati team in the in the playoffs but uh i think for Buffalo fans, a lot to look forward to, a lot to be excited about. That's a franchise that for a while was the laughing stock of the league and is now back. Number three story, as Anna has it. A little bizarre. Um, three players for the Cleveland Browns were robbed over the weekend, oh including two players who had their cars stolen. So cornerback Greg Newsom, the second and defensive tackle Perry and Winfrey, uh, were two of the players robbed. They were leaving a nightclub around 3.30 in the morning. Mm. And that's when they were approached by six masked men and who robbed them at gunpoint. So they stole Newsom's truck, got away with some jewelry that the guys were wearing. Um, now, separately, Demetric Felton, uh, a running back, his car was stolen at 4.50 in the morning on Sunday. That was just 24 hours before the whole Newsom incident. And... It uh, it was stolen straight out of his apartment garage, and that marks the third time this year that a Browns player has had his car stolen. 3.30 in the morning. Stephen, uh, I'm going to give you the quote from Browns general manager Ed, uh, Kevin Stefanski, excuse me, head coach Stephen, Kevin Stefanski. He said, quote, I'm glad our guys are okay. I want our community to be safe. The Cleveland police have been outstanding, end quote. But what should he have said? <laughs> I, I don't know. Am I supposed to know this? Nothing good happens at 3.30 in the morning oh, outside yeah. a nightclub, for crying out loud, Stephen. I, that's true. That is true. What do you expect? Do you think they're going to buy hot dogs out there at 3.30 in the morning? Go home at a normal hour. Way to blame the victim. I'm blaming you. I'm not saying it's right what happened to him. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying Jeez. the two things that jumped out at me, you said 4.50 in the morning, the car got stolen, 3.30 in the morning, 6 masked men on horseback robbed them like you talk about you know if you're in a stagecoach and you're traveling with a bunch of treasure through a uh, canyon and it, and it narrows and it's 3 30 in the morning expect bad things to happen it's the wrong time of day oh, nothing boy. good happens after about 2 a.m okay Jeez. especially in cleveland harsh all right so harsh. number four uh bill walton i like this one documentary is uh, bursting with joy and color he's uh, getting his own 30 for 30 bio it's a four-parter yep it's tracing his life uh, I've got it as a high school and UCLA phenom and a blazer and an activist and I think it's interesting when people call him a controversial commentator 
I don't know how controversial oh, he is. Oh, he's polarizing. But people, well, polarizing, yeah. yes. Like people either love him or don't. Yeah. Yes, I got a I note know. from Bill Hoffheimer, the other Bill, from ESPN. He is uh, their VP of communications, and he said, hey, you, you, you know you made the Walton tweet. ESPN put out this, this video of Walton reading mean tweets, and he included my tweet in it. I'm going to play this. One's from I- this one's from ISO, the all-star, Bill Walton, hands down, best announcer ever. Please, set your standards higher. This one's from IOZ, Bill Walton hurts my ears. Ah! Now, this one's from John Canzano. Quote, I have almost no idea what Bill Walton is saying, but I love every syllable. John, I'm right there with you. I can't wait to get face-to-face with you so I can have somebody to talk to who I understand. This one's from Todd. He's got a lot of vowels in there that I can't pronounce the last name. Bill Walton is terrible, just terrible. He doesn't even make sense. I love the positive feedback, Todd. You're simply awesome. Please, find your way to the bright side of the road. There's Bill Walton. I think they could have been a lot meaner to him. There's there's worse tweets out there for Bill Walton, I'm sure. Well, yeah, but how wise of him to like embrace the hate, right? Yeah. Real killing reduces. Do you think hate. he thought I was being mean? I don't think so. I think you were thrown in there as sort of the less mean tweet. Oh, think? good. Okay. But the, the, so right. the four-part series, documentary series, features Julius Irving, Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, all talking in glowing terms about his competitiveness and talent. We uh, we had the guy who is doing the um, the uh, who who is the producer of this on the show, Steve James, last week, and he I got all four parts. There's a lot of Portland in this, hmm. a lot of his time in Portland, Great. and they filmed with him in Portland. So if you're a Blazer fan, uh, part one and two, I think it's tonight. Let me look at this, June sixth premiere. It's tonight. Uh, at, at uh, on ESPN, and the two episodes are going to air back to back tonight, and then the next two episodes a week from tonight, June thirteenth. Number five, finally. Uh, one hundred and one skilled and licensed skydivers between the ages of sixty and eighty broke two world records uh, for big way skydiving. Wow. Uh, they did this in Paris, California, and it's pretty cool. I mean, this is like a big formation hmm. up in the sky with like 76 people. So they exceeded the previous record by 25 jumpers. I don't understand skydiving. I'll never do it. It's I've seen it. So is this go where they they link arms? Often. Yes. They link arms. They make a big like formation thing in the sky yes. wow yeah 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 i would take a lot of planning yeah you know well and i guess practice right because you can't just say let's all meet there <laughs> everybody meet in the sky but i i um i'm not i don't think i'm ever gonna skydive intentionally intentionally you know what i mean like i don't think i would ever jump out of a plane unless there was a problem <laughs> you know steven have you done that uh, never, never done it, and I don't plan on doing it, and I really hope I don't have to uh, without my will. Yeah, I think if you, I mean if you think you have to, if you have a DB Cooper situation, or maybe you know there's planes going down, and they're like, hey, we got one shoot, 
you take it, uh, I might try it. But I'm not going to do it like, hey, it's a perfect plane, especially not the way they do it with the tandem jumping. I feel a little weird about having someone else, you know, attached to me. Yeah. And I'm just there as like I'm a mosquito or something. Yeah. And I'm jumping with them. Right. Cheating a little, right? Yeah. That doesn't really feel like And then I saw saw a story uh, about a year ago where there was a woman who did one of those tandem jumps. She was on vacation. Yeah. And the guy who was an expert jumper. He released the chute. It didn't go. Oh, boy. He then put the back chute out, yes. and it got tangled. Ooh. And so they were spiraling as they were falling. Mm. And he told her, I'm going to wrap my body around yours to brace the fall. Okay. Because the chute didn't open. Wow. And they landed at a speed that you should not land. She walked away. He's paralyzed. Oh, my gosh. And there was this big story about how awesome, like, he saved her life. Jeez. But I was just like, that's horrible. That's what you sign up to do if you're a skydiving instructor? I'm telling you what I'm doing if I'm on vacation. I'm not jumping out of a plane with some guy on my back who's going to go, hey, if there's a problem, I'm going to wrap myself around you to absorb the fall. <laughs> no thanks. I'm going to sit on the beach. I just like that the one of the wor- world records that was set here... That included rocket scientists, physicians, fishermen, nurses, venture capitalists, accountants, nice. pilots, teachers, a missionary, a mailman. Sounds a like an NFL referee crew. Yeah. I don't know. I have no desire to do that. Have you ever, you've done, you've bungee jumped. Would it's you do it now? different. Would you do it now? Would you skydive? I would, no, I would never skydive. Yeah. I would never. I've just, I've Good. seen it go wrong too many times with news stories. We're on the same page. Yeah. That's like that time I came to you and I said, you know, I should get a pilot's license. Yeah, no. And you were like, turn on the news. <laughs> Somebody's landing their plane on I-5 every other weekend. Some <laughs> bozo thinks they're a real pilot. If you're a real pilot, you're a real pilot. No, I it's mean, it's not something great. you should dabble in. It's great if that's your hobby and you have your pilot license no. and you enjoy that. It's not something you should dabble in. Well, you know, yeah, they don't let you dabble in other dangerous things like, you know, you can't dabble in being a police officer or like a military sniper. There's lots of dangerous things you can dabble in. All those people that climb Mount Hood and stuff in the wintertime. uh, That's another that's a whole other segment. Not the hikers, but the people with like ice picks. If you're going up there in the wintertime with and risking your life, I believe that the search and rescue people should not have to go after you. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I saw a lifeguard thing the other day. I was I watched these weird things. There was a lifeguard situation, and they were showing a guy who was doing something foolish. He was on the rocks in an area where there were high waves, yeah. and this tourist had climbed down into an area that was clearly unsafe, mm-hmm. and a big wave came and swept him off the rocks, yeah. and uh, they were using it as a training for the lifeguard. The guy drowned. Oh, jeez. On video, you watch him. They, oh. can't, they can't get to him. He drowns. And so... The lifeguards were saying there is a situation where you have to assess and go, that person put themselves into a horrible position by doing something really foolish. And if I go in after them, I'm going to be in trouble too. Mm -hmm. And then some other lifeguard Mm. who doesn't have the same decision to make, because if it's a lifeguard who's struggling in the water, another lifeguard will jump in to save them. Mm -hmm. They will not go, hey, did that person make a bad decision? So that the they were asking the lifeguards, like they were telling them, instructing them, 
that there are situations where civilians are so foolish that they put themselves in a horrible situation that you are not obligated to join in. Mm-hmm. And that was one of them. It was a bunch of rocks and high waves, and the guy drowned. They, you know, it mm-hmm. was it was a bad situation. Like, you know, it's a bad situation. Yeah. Do you believe that search and rescue should have to go out after well, those families that go climbing up the mountain? No, I don't necessarily believe that. But I've been there. Like, I, I've been up on Mount Hood on a Christmas Eve, and uh, while they were searching for somebody that was missing. And I've just admired the mountain rescue folks who go up there uh, and volunteer their time. They're they're actually not paid. A lot of them. Okay, I admire them as well. They go up and they they were there on a holiday evening searching for somebody who you know had climbed up and was sort of beyond their experience level. Well, that's where the problem is. Yeah. And that, and I admire the search and rescue people, but I also feel like there should just be a abundance of caution mm-hmm. with do we want to risk the life of a volunteer search and rescue person to go after somebody who's been an idiot who's mm-hmm. made a bad decision mm-hmm. and i think like the lifeguard there comes a decision where you have to go is this safe for me and if i go in and i'm in trouble i'm endangering other lifeguards that are going to have to come in after me yeah it's an interesting point okay who's right steven who's right uh, i'll go Anna. leave it here you got the pft you want to read me now, you can read me exclusively at johnconzano.com. We had a big plot twist with the PGA Tour and LIV Golf ending their bitter and contentious standoff with uh, a, uh, a union that nobody saw coming. They've decided they are going to get married. They're eloping together. They're dropping the litigation. Nobody's going to have to open the books. Uh, stories coming out about the meeting that was held between Jay Monahan, the PGA Tour commissioner, and players, uh, they met in Toronto today at Oakdale Golf and Country Club uh, just a few hours after the tour announced that it was forming a partnership with the Saudi Arabia-backed uh, uh, LIV tour. Uh, Mark Schlebach, ESPN, friend of the show, reporting there from there that uh, Monahan basically uh, took a beat down from players who called him a hypocrite and he sort of just took it. Um, uh, some quotes that came out of there. Um, there were in-person meetings and video calls. During the meetings, players complained about being kept in the dark. A lot of players found out on social media today before they set, saw the memo from Monahan. Uh, Rory McIlroy, Tiger Woods, John Rahm, and others were not told about the deal in advance. Neither were the members of the Players' Advisory Committee. Um Monahan told a reporter, quote, when you get into these conversations, given the complexity of what we were dealing with, it's not uncommon that the circle of information is very tight. In our case, we kept that information very tight. The fact of the matter is this was a shock to a lot of people because we were not in a position to share or explain as we normally would, and that was really a result of the commitment we had to maintaining confidentiality to the end, end quote. He also said he understood players being frustrated about being blindsided. He said, quote, this is an awful lot to ask them to digest and a significant change for us in the direction that we're going, end quote. So PGA Tour will remain a 501c6 tax-exempt organization, according to the uh, news release that went out today. I think that's an interesting point. 
I do think the PGA Tour was motivated to not have the Department of Justice poking around in their tax-exempt uh, antitrust uh, you know, status. Um, also, I think the LIV Tour was bleeding money, so I think they just kind of came to uh, some common ground. Uh, you know, my dad told me that a long time ago, and, and I think it applies for NBA teams making trades. It applies for real estate. It applies for if you're trading baseball cards. My dad told me it takes no brains to come up with a deal that works for only one side. He said, think about that. It takes no brains. You hear that all the time. Like all the time we're told by Blazer fans, you know what the Blazers should do. They should trade, fill in the blank of a bunch of disposable players and uh, marginal draft picks for fill in the blank of all-star player coming from other team that is totally unreasonable. It takes no brains to propose trades that are lopsided. It takes no brains for Jody Allen to say, I don't want to sell. I'm not even going to return Phil Knight's call. It takes no brains to come up with a one-sided deal. It just doesn't. And so maybe what we have here is the PGA Tour. Maybe they're fearing that the Department of Justice is getting a little too close. They do not want to end up deposed on matters involving their business and antitrust and their tax-exempt status. And you got LIV Golf that was angling all along for a merger, uh, playing for a merger and going, hey, you know, maybe we can back down. Maybe we ask a little less just to get our foot in the door. But uh, I'll be curious to see the details of this agreement. The devil will be in the details. And so this is, I think, just beginning. Big story. Really kind of surprised that it broke today. Because if I'm the PGA Tour, I would have wanted this story to break on a Friday and have it go into a weekend. Not break on a Tuesday where it will be disseminated all day long on Tuesday. It will have more run tomorrow. We're going to have Peter Jacobson on the show tomorrow to talk about it. Others are going to go further. You're going to get details here in the next 48 hours of what does this deal exactly entail. And so I think this is kind of just beginning. And I think, you know, from a PR standpoint, it's a little bit of a – it's going to be a long week for the PGA. And I think, Stephen, you mentioned it, off day. Uh, you know, you talk about trying to do a news dump. You wouldn't do it today. You'd want to you'd wanna do it like tomorrow. There's an NBA Finals game. You'd want to bury it. You'd want to hide it a little bit. Not going to happen. PGA Tour didn't do that. But I uh, wrote about it a little bit at johnconzano.com, but I really used the plot twist as a way to get to talk about some other wild plot twists that I've been thinking about. I'm just going to throw these out there. And I'm not saying these things are going to come true, okay? I want to preface that by saying I am not predicting the following things. But there are things I've been thinking about that could happen. One of them is... We all know UCLA is headed to the Big Ten Conference. They'll leave in the 2024 football season. We've talked about the Bruins' non-revenue-generating sports going along for the ride. We've talked about the penalty that the UC Regents are going to require UCLA to pay. They're going to have to subsidize Cal, calling it Calimony, which I like. It's kind of clever. Um, uh, David Shaw was on this show. Last July, he said he thought that the travel demands of the Big Ten and geography would ultimately rear its head and would become a problem for UCLA. He said, quote, my heart of hearts tells me that in some point of time, this will self-correct. So here's a wild plot twist. As long as we're talking about PGA Tour and LIV Golf 
you know, with a surprise twist, succession-like episode here. How about UCLA in the next five or six years? Before their media deal expires in the Big Ten in the summer of 2030, how about UCLA makes a realization that it isn't better off in the Big Ten? Could we maybe file that one away in a time capsule? Let's open it in 2030. Because I kind of wonder if the non-revenue-generating sports at UCLA are going to suffer the way the non-revenue-generating sports at Nebraska have suffered. Bill Moose, former AD at Nebraska, said that that travel grind is real. He has talked a lot about it. I also wonder if UCLA is going to realize that they're spending a lot of money on travel, the subsidy to Cal isn't that great, and is it possible that the Pac-12 does a little better or the Pac-12 maybe could offer UCLA a little better number, an uneven revenue-sharing number, and lure the Bruins back into the Pac-12 conference? It's not the craziest thought that's out there. Just put it in a time capsule. Let's open it in 2029, 2030. Is it possible that UCLA reverses course and goes, eh, life in the Big Ten, not so good. Don't like competing against Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State and USC all the time. Rather be competing with Utah and Oregon and Washington and Oregon State. We'd like to go back to the Pac-12 conference. Keep an eye on it. It's not more implausible than the PGA Tour toasting alongside the Saudis. Okay, Here's another flip-flop possibility I wrote about today. The A's. Anyone else think Major League Baseball has had enough of the Oakland A's? We're going to have Casey Pratt on tomorrow's show. He's been all over this in the Bay Area for the ABC affiliate there in the Bay Area. He is uh, following and tracking the actions of John Fisher, A's owner, who has basically outed himself as Scrooge McDuck. The A's are going to Vegas, or maybe not. Think about this. Yesterday, the Nevada legislature adjourned their four-month session without a vote on the package that would fund the 30,000-seat ballpark on the Las Vegas Strip. It's a $1.5 billion project. Now, they are about 100 to $150 million apart in money. That's less than the gap in Oakland where the A's and the county of Alameda and the city of Oakland were only about $70 million apart. I'm kind of wondering if the A's are going to end up back in Oakland. I get it. John Fisher wants to be in Vegas. And what he's going to do if they move to Vegas is he's going to bake that into the valuation. He'll immediately sell the team, and he will ride off into the sunset. But I'm kind of wondering if the A's may flip-flop and be back in Oakland. As long as we're talking about LIV Golf and PGA Tour you know, getting married, what a wild twist that was. How about a twist where the A's end up back in Oakland? Here's another twist that I know you're going to love right here in the state of Oregon. The Ducks and the Beavers. Is it possible that the Ducks and Beavers could play on Black Friday in a Civil War football game at Autzen Stadium and that one of them may have one loss or be undefeated and the other may have one or two losses and after that game... They would meet just eight days later in Las Vegas and play for the Pac-12 championship. What I'm talking about is a Civil War football game for all the marbles, a rematch, Civil War 2.0 in Vegas. As long as we're talking about plot twists, the Ducks are plus 375 to win the Pac-12 in the Bet MGM Sportsbook. I looked it up this morning. The Beavers are plus 750. Those are not long shots. 
USC's the favorite. They're plus 160. Washington's in there, too, at plus 475, and so is Utah at plus 500. But if you're picking Oregon or Oregon State to win the Pac-12, I'm not laughing at you. And if you're picking Oregon and Oregon State to go 1-2 in the conference, I wouldn't laugh at you either. Now, it would be tricky because I think you'd have to have one of them undefeated, winning the Black Friday game and ending the regular season undefeated, or maybe even with one loss at worst-case scenario. And then, as I pointed out, you'd have to have the other school maybe as a two-loss. It would have to be like a a 10-2 against an 11-1 or a 12-0 against an 11-1 for this to happen because I think it's going to be that tight at the top of the conference. But it's not the most unthinkable plot twist to think we could get Oregon and Oregon State against each other. There's no north-south division right now unless they announce it, you know, in July. Hey, we're going back to divisions. I think this is a possibility. You know, don't hold me to it. I'm not predicting it's going to happen, but I'm going to say that would be wild. Here's another final plot twist. How about Caleb Williams? He's the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. He was at USC a year ago. He's back this year. He's going to be the favorite on all the betting boards to start this season. USC's expected to win a bunch of games, and Caleb Williams is supposed to be the guy. Then how about this as a little twist in the plot? How about the Pac-12 repeats with a quarterback winning the Heisman Trophy? But how about it's not Caleb Williams? How about Oregon's Bo Nix or Washington's Michael Penix Jr. as the Heisman winner? It is not unthinkable. That is not a wild, oh, that's so unfathomable. That's not unthinkable. Again, if Oregon was 11-1, 12-0, 10-2, or Penix Jr., same kind of record, great numbers like he had a year ago, I think you know there's a possibility the Pac-12 repeats. Again, I think, you know, I wrote this today, I think it's risky because the Heisman vote really does break down by region. I worry that the voters in the Pacific time zone will all vote for Caleb Williams or maybe some will cannibalize that vote and vote for Michael Penix or Bo Nix. I think you could have a problem there if they're all good with trying to get one of them winning the award because I think you you know you might cannibalize some of the vote. But the conference quarterbacks are so good that it's not dumb to think that more than one Pac-12 QB could be a finalist at the downtown athletic club. Leave it here. Some parting thoughts coming up. All season long, we are giving away Mariners tickets to listeners who pay careful attention on this radio show. Yesterday in the 5 at 5, Anna talked about the five biggest stories going on in sports. And after it ended, I said, huh, you left one out. I thought it was one of the biggest stories of the weekend. Do you know what it was? If you do, call now at 503-417-7575, and you will get two pairs of Mariners tickets to two different games. Anna gave the five at five yesterday, went through five important stories, and at the end of the segment, I said, huh, you left one out. I thought it would be in there. And uh, it was it was low-hanging fruit. It had to do with, do you remember? 503-417-7575. I can give more clues, but I want to leave it there for right now. We have uh, about 10 minutes left in the show. But if you were listening in yesterday's 5 o'clock hour, it was at about 520 I'm going to say 22 on yesterday's show. Right at the end, I was going to commercial break. She gave her five at five, 
and I kind of shamed her for the stories that she missed. All right, we're going to go to the phone lines. We've got people calling in. I'll tell you whether or not you got it. But if you are a careful listener on Monday's shows, you are uniquely qualified to win. So if you're somebody who's always listening to this show and particularly listening to the 5 at 5, we'll do this once a week where we give away two pairs of tickets. So you'll get not one, but two pairs of tickets to two different games. So you go into two different games, and if you get it right, you'll hear this. And you and a friend will be going to two different Mariners games, or you can take two different friends. And if you get it wrong, you'll get And that's okay. You won't be getting any tickets, but I still appreciate that you listen to the show. Let's start with Melissa in Portland, who has called in. Melissa, were you listening yesterday in the 5 at 5 when Anna left out a story? Yes, I was. What did she leave out? Well, I I believe it was the women's golf story, but I don't know the the golfer's name, and I I apologize for that, but I believe that that was what you were talking about. Okay, let me go to the judges. Steven, Judah, thumbs up, thumbs down. She knows the subject, doesn't know the golfer's name. I'm going to need a little more. I hate to do it to her. I feel like I need a little more. Is Judah going thumbs up or thumbs down? I can't see him. He's going thumbs middle. <laughs> okay. Oh, thumbs I remember middle. more about the birthday party details, though. <laughs> can we can we give her one of the pairs of tickets? Are we able to do that, or does it have to be one winner gets both? I, 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 this is what Judah said. And this is a great, great call. Give her one name and see if she can finish it. Okay. Give me, do you know... The golfer's last name. If I, you want the first name or the last name, Melissa, and if you can get the other part of it, you win. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a, a long shot, so I don't care. <laughs> okay. Golfer's first name is Rose. I'm sorry. I'm drawing a real blank here. I'm trying to Google on my phone even real quick, and nothing's working <laughs> for me. I'm sorry. She's honest. I like that she's honest. All right, I'm going to put her on hold. Guys? It's a great, we, it's a great effort, we, but I feel like she just admitted to cheating by Googling. Okay. Let's go to uh, who, where, have, who, what have, line should be next. We have standards here, John. What line should be next? You pick it. Oh, you pick the line. Uh, let's go with Al. Al in Seaside. All right, Al's in Seaside. Al, welcome to the program. Uh, you haven't been listening. You've been sequestered. So yesterday in the 5 at 5, Anna... Left a story out, and she finished the five at five, and Al hung up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, now which line? Uh, let's go with uh, Ron Westland. Ron is in Westland, the mean streets of Westland. Now, Ron, you are, have been sequestered as well. You do not know what we're talking about, but uh, yesterday in the five at five, Anna named her five stories, and she left one out that I thought was low-hanging fruit. What did she leave out? I think it was Rose Zhang won the NCAA championship and her first pro tournament. Ron and Westland, you win. You win two pairs of tickets. Um, sorry to Melissa and the others. I love that people are calling in. But, Ron, who, who are you taking to the game with you? Uh, I'm not sure. Probably my son and my granddaughters. Okay. Do it. Ron and Wes Lynn. All right. I'm going to put him on hold. He's going to get the information 
from uh, Judah. He'll be talking. You know, should we give Melissa some St. Paul rodeo tickets? I think so. I she was yeah. she knew it. She knew exactly what yeah. it was. I, okay. I, yeah. Melissa, call back in. She hung up. I want her to call back in. Melissa, call back in. We're going to send you to the St. Paul Rodeo as a consolation. Okay? It's not Mariners games, but it's the St. Paul Rodeo for crying out loud. I appreciate everybody who called in. Kind of fun. We should do this every week. Oh, we do. That's right. Thanks for reminding me, Stephen, by the way. Yeah, Stephen thanks, sent me- thanks for reminder from Judah. To remind me. To remind <laughs> Judah you. reminded you. You reminded me. It was Judah's idea in the first place. Now, Melissa's calling back in. I'm just, we got her on, you got her on the line? I want to put her on air. I want to put Melissa back on air. If you guys can uh, hear me. All right. Melissa, Melissa, are you there? Hi. Hi, John. Right. It's me. You want to go to the St. Paul Rodeo? I would love to. I've never been. Always wanted right. to go. You're going to the St. Paul Rodeo as a consolation because you knew it, but you didn't know it. Yes. Yes. I know. I feel okay. bad I didn't know it because I, I, I like sports. I, I, I try to pride myself on known sports sometimes, but yeah. this one didn't work out for me. All right. So have you ever ridden a bull before or done any roping? Mm, no, none of that. Nope. Okay. So this ticket is in particular is cool because you get to ride the bull in the bull riding competition. <laughs> oh, a, a real bull? <laughs> like I'm just, one of those I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can... <laughs> You can. You're just gonna be in the. You'll be with everybody else watching the bull riders. All right. I appreciate That's you listening great. to the show. All right. Thank We're gonna put you, you on hold. We're gonna put you on hold. Judah will uh, get your information. See, everybody wins. Did you like her reaction when she thought she was riding the bull? Yeah, I'm, I. I felt bad because I'm the one that kind of said no. She lost the Mariners one, so I'm. I'm glad we can yeah. give her something. Yeah. I. I actually thought because it's it's four Mariners tickets. It's two tickets to two different games. Why couldn't we just split the tickets? Does that make it too hard? Are the Mariners kind of persnickety about that? You know what? I don't. I don't know that, but I feel, I feel like, like we should have done that. No, but you, you need to know the answer. She we, did, though. She said. But did she? It was the golfer that you know Anna couldn't remember. Yeah. What's the What's the documentary about tonight? Oh, it's about the basketball <laughs> player who was tall. I mean, I get, you know, you got you got to be a little de- details stats. It's all about. Do school. you think you'd be good on a game show? Because I think a lot of times. Sometimes we bring people on, and the pressure eats them up, and I think they get a little nervous. Do you think you'd be good in a game show scenario? If I, Yeah, I think I would. I don't think the pressure would get to me. I think I could remember things on the spot. Well, we may find out well, one day. I, yeah. Do, have you ever wanted to be on a game show, like The Price is Right or something like that? Um, Sort of. Not really. I mean, we went, me and uh, the wife back in the day, before she was the wife, we went to Vegas, and so we went to The Price is Right show down there. Mm. Um, she really wanted to get on. I didn't really care, but um, so we went to that. But yeah, I mean, I think it'd be kind of fun, I guess. So many of the, um, so many of the game shows, I think, just put people on who have good energy. Like they put the wild people on who are going to be entertaining on TV naturally because it's about TV. But there's like, who wants to be a millionaire? Wasn't that way. They put people on there who are really smart, and Jeopardy's not that way. They put you know some people on there that are incredibly knowledgeable. I don't know if they'd be the most fun people to watch. They probably weren't over the years, but they got people who are knowledgeable. But if you're going on the price is right, you're going on there because you are over the top with your energy. But it's like if you know, it's like the sports jeopardy. They had that back in the day. Dan Patrick hosted that. Like yeah. I would be fine on that, I think. 
I always hate on Jeopardy when there's a sports category, and we realize that we sports fans are so different from the rest we're, of the people. We're the minorities that know all yeah. this sports stuff. It's just so frustrating to kind of get those moments where I'm like, that's so easy. In 1884, Maud Watson won the first women's singles tennis competition at this British venue. Read. What is Wimbledon? Yes. Uh, presidential artifacts for 800, please. Answer. Daily double. And before I ask you to make a wager, we have to take some money away from you, Reed. I'm, I'm informed that you very clearly said Wimbledon, not Wimbledon a few moments ago, so you're losing 800 bucks, which means you now have 200, but you can still risk up to 1,000. The rest of us just shaking our heads at the absurdity.